1: are listening to the Voices of
0: Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay, don't listen to Joe Lanza, because Joe Lanza's not changing.
1: And Rich Crange.
0: <laughs> I you. Who delivers I, this guy I, in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop
1: yelling at me. agree. I agree. Welcome once again to The Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich Crate alongside finally after a couple of weeks here Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what is happening?
0: Oh, we've settled our differences.
1: We have. Oh, was this another beef one? I feel like this is the first time people didn't think it was a beef because I think I what? guess you were you're pretty transparent about why you were out, but uh I do miss the days where we'd miss a week and everyone's like, oh I don't know. <laughs> like that might be it. <laughs> like, they hate each other. And and truthfully I, I I do hate you, but it's fine. Like we, we make this work no matter what. I mean it, it it has become such a professional. We are um we're you know, Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson. There we go. Right now I immediately eliminated anybody <laughs> under the age of thirty and anybody that's not in America. Uh but yeah, you know, it's like a Thurman Munson Reggie Jackson thing here where it's like, you know, we might not see out of eye, but goddamn it, when that when that when that record button gets hit. We always deliver, though. We win World Series.
0: Yeah, this is like uh, year eleven of Mike and the Mad Dog, where they can't stand.
1: (laughs) They're in different like parts of the office. Yeah, they're like hosting a show, and they can't look at each other. They can't even be in the same room. Uh, That's kind of where we're at, yeah.
0: But then the red light goes on, and it's magic. Uh, Yeah, no, this is the first time that no one uh, cryptically tweeted that you know we were on the verge of a breakup. Uh, So. That that's good. The old the old Lanza and Cretch solo albums. That was the old thing, you know. Oh, they're doing solo albums.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, try out new things. You know, I I maybe we'll talk to a Joe Gagney. I'll do my own solo thing. You go your own separate ways. Yeah, yeah, there's there's what's
0: what's a better troll when you bring Joe Gagney on and we advertise it as Joe and Rich.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, a it's that's a pretty a good gimmick. It's a pretty good gimmick, I won't lie. I, I do enjoy talking to Joe it's that I don't invite him onto the show simply because his name is Joe, but it doesn't hurt. I'll say that. It definitely doesn't hurt. But no, he comes on because I think he's a very good, uh, he's a good fill-in for, for you as well. But uh, yeah, he does work in a name value too. So yeah, that is pretty good. The a- Joe and Rich <laughs> talk about Elimination yes. Chamber. And like- yeah,
0: he, he <laughs> is a tremendous fill-in, but it, it's a good troll because then at least, because look, we're well aware that there's people who will not listen to this show unless you and I are on the show. If it's a solo show, they won't listen. If it's a fill-in guest, uh, they won't listen. So it, it's it's a good gimmick that you do there where you're like, Joe and Rich discuss, uh, you know, uh, Fully Loaded. I don't know what year that show <laughs> Fully was, uh. Loaded.
1: <laughs> I think the last Fully Loaded was in 2000. So that would have been... Uh... But Joe Gagney was podcasting back in uh, 1990. Yes, he was. So I was not, though. I was uh, a little young, so...
0: So um, what so what nice. happens is we'll at least get the download, right? Right. And then fully when they loaded.
1: hear <laughs> fully loaded. Of <laughs> all the names, they have had thousands of pay-per-view names at that point. You brought fully loaded. It's the first one that came to mind. <laughs> Why?
0: You heard me struggling. I couldn't think of one.
1: Fully loaded.
0: I could have went with roadblock end of the line.
1: Roadblock I mean, end of the line, yeah. We're on fa- we're on the fast lane, Joe. Vroom, vroom. I don't know if you saw, but uh... isn't
0: fast lane in the lineage of roadblock and roadblock end of the line?
1: I forgot when roadblock end of the line was. I think oh, you're right. right. I thought was there a year where they had a uh, a roadblock end of the line and then also a fast lane? Or is that not possible?
0: No, I think it's the same lineage of shows. I mean, I could
1: be wrong. You were wrong. No, I thought I thought you were right too. Roadblock end of the line was in uh, December 18th of 2016. So well, there was um, a roadblock as well. There was a roadblock, and that was in March. So I was right. So that was March 12th. Of, I was right. I knew that there was a roadblock and a fast lane. I remember this year, it was so stupid. 2016, there was March 12th, 2016, roadblock, which was uh, Dean Ambrose and, and Triple H, which I remember being a pretty good match, if I remember correctly. Before that was fast lane on February 21st, 2018. And then you had the Royal Rumble in January. And then, of course, that all led to WrestleMania. So, right. Really, la- <laughs> really packed it. So, what was it? So, okay. So, March 12th was roadblock. When the hell was. April 2nd was WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, I mean, whatever.
0: Yeah. Tight school. That's a good troll because you at least get the download, and then they hear Gagne, and then maybe they X out. And then there's the gimmick that I do. Now, which which is more deceptive? That, the Joe Gagne, Rich and Joe gimmick, or what I do where... I open up the show and I say, Rich will be joining us later. And then you never join.
1: <laughs> that one's pretty good. I like that one a lot. So that, I think that one is a little more, that one's pretty awful. Cause like I, there was that one where you, you strung it along until like two hours and 50 minutes. And you're like, yeah, Joe's, uh, Rich isn't." Or I don't even think you said anything. I think you just signed off the show and people were like, Hey, uh, you left out the part where rich came or whatever. I oh, think yeah, that I one was pretty egregious. That one was, was, was see, I'm not lying. Joe and rich do talk about fully loaded, <laughs> but you know, I am not arriving on. So you you do bait and switch a little bit on yours. You also do the we. Anytime you're writing a show description and it's uh and you're doing it solo, you're yes. always like we talk about or we get into like and yeah. then it's just you, you know. And I, I suppose you know I'm there in spirit, but yeah, that, that is your gimmick is the we or the rich is going to join us, uh, and then rich never joins us. So
0: well, listen, I I'm not going to tell the people who don't want to listen to a solo show not to listen. It doesn't matter if they listen for 15 seconds; it still counts. Okay, the adver- to the advertiser that click counts. So listen, I do what I got to do. I think uh, the listener at this point understands that uh, that Joe Lanza's is a little sleazy and he will he will go to uh, any, uh, you know, means that it takes to get that precious download so uh just curious so you think i'm the sleazier one
1: i i think maybe yeah i think that c- there's a blatant bait and switch uh with you saying that rich is going to join us later and then he never joins us the problem is like you do say that sometimes and i do join you later like in last week like you said it and then you're like i promise he's coming <laughs> And then, like i'm sure people were like oh yeah here we go again like boy who cried wolf but then i did show up so it, it is it's interesting though but you keep people on their toes and i think that's important to always uh I always have people guessing, you know, you know, when they show when they click that download when they click their little podcast app. What am I gonna get this week? What the hell is gonna happen this week on the voice wrestling collection? It's it's good to keep them uh gotta keep them honest. But uh, yeah, this week is gonna be a lot of shit. We got Elimination Chamber, we gotta talk about Kofi Kingston, we gotta talk about NXT call-ups, we have to talk about Rev Pro High Stakes, we gotta talk about how Pac, uh, if I don't take too many jobs, man. Pac is doing himself uh, pretty good work here on the Indies, so we're going to talk about him a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the main events of the Giant Baba Tribute Show, DDT Judgment, uh, which was last weekend as well. A uh, little bit about uh, what's going on in New Japan as well. Just a quick little check-in on, on the rising shows, uh, as well as a retirement show uh, of a guy, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll get going with that in a sec. Before we do that, though, I do want to let you know this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Mint Mobile. And Joe... There are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet and showers, eating dip with your fingers, chunky style milk, and paying too much for your phone bill. Now, that's just not right. But thanks to the folks at Mint Mobile, you don't have to pay. You don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience and made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you for a limited time. They're offering two months free when you buy your first month. That's $20 total for three months Of wireless. Joe, think about that because I know that I pay somewhere around. It it depends if I have like a new phone that I just bought or whatever. I'm usually upwards of 80 to to 100, maybe 110 every single month for my wireless. I don't know what you pay for your wireless, but I'm sure it is much more than $20 for three months. Is that correct?
0: Rich, uh, before Mint Mobile, I was paying $790 a month for uh, my
1: mobile. Yeah, Joe, you are paying far too much. And this amazing deal, you got to get on this amazing Mint Mobile deal here. Uh, $20 total. Gets you three months of wireless service with eight gigabytes of 4G LTE data. That's all good stuff there. Each month, plus unlimited nationwide talk and text. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan as well. So you can keep your old phone number along with all your existing contacts. You don't have to change anything, get a new number, do all this sort of stuff, backing all the crap up. You don't have to do that. Mint Mobile runs the nation's fastest and most advanced LTE network. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Take advantage of this amazing deal before it's gone. Pay just $20 for your first month of wireless. Get another two months for free by going to mintmobile.com slash VOW. That's mintmobile.com slash VOW. Again, three months of premium wireless service for just $20. mintmobile.com slash VOW. So we thank them very much for sponsoring this show. All right, Joe. Where do we start here? This is this is one of those odd shows we talk about where we got about 10 different topics. And I don't know that anyone is any more important. And I feel like we could just as easily start with judgment as we could about Kofi Kingston. Or I'm, I'm leaving the floor for you, sir. You're the one who has missed a week and dealt with all the family stuff. You're back. Where do you want to start? The floor is yours.
0: Uh, excuse me, sir, but I was here last week. I know. Jeez.
1: <laughs> Halfway through that, I was like, oh, yeah, we did the show last week. I forgot. It was, a- it was such a weird show, man. I was doing it, like, I did it, at like, 5 a.m. on, like, a Friday. It's, it's so bizarre. I forget that that show even happened. But, uh, anyway, yes. <laughs> now that we're back together, I'm going to be nice and let you, you you choose. So.
0: My portion of the show must have really stunk. Jeez. <laughs> I remember I was here. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think we should start with Elimination Chamber. And I think the hot topic. That everybody is talking about, of course, is the uh, Kofi Kingston performance, which closed out the show. Uh, do you want to start at the end of the show and then uh, work our way uh,
1: back to the top? I, don't I think that's that? a good idea. Yeah, because I have like I have literally five minutes of thought about anything else on the show except for the main event. So that's good. That's a good idea to do that. So let's let's, let's do that.
0: Rich is down on the WWE even more than normal. Like I. I I I am in fear that I'm going to have to carry this.
1: You are. Uh, Here's the thing. (laughs) With four of the matches that we're going to talk about, they were immediately rendered worthless like 12 hours later on Raw. You know what I mean? Like like the the next night on Raw, the Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley, Leo Rush thing didn't matter because Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley were just back together (laughs) after their heel turn. And then Baron Corbin lost to Braun Strowman. The next night, so it's like none of them mattered. <laughs> like so, it's like a few of these matches just didn't matter whatsoever in the in the grand scheme of things. But so, anyway, well, we'll get to that when we get to the double. Let's talk about the main event though, because I do I do have thoughts hashtag thoughts on the main event though. So I'll
0: tell you what does matter. It's big match buddy and the well booked two hundred five live show. But we'll get to that uh, when we circle back to the top of the show. Um, but but uh, but yeah, let's start with the men's elimination chamber match, which closed the show. Uh, Kofi Kingston has been the talk of the wrestling world, Rich. you think that's fair?
1: Uh, I would say. Summer? I'd say for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that last the last week or so, ever since the, you know, obviously goes out on Raw, does some pretty good stuff, gone SmackDown, obviously does, uh, or I should say SmackDown, He's, you know, he wins that gauntlet or whatever. I, I'd say pretty much from SmackDown until Elimination Chamber and even uh, outside Elimination Chamber. Yeah, he, he has definitely been the talk uh, of the wrestling world. I think that's fair. Yeah, so the gauntlet
0: match, uh, that gets him into the chamber, and uh, that was the week before. And then uh, he's in the chamber match. I got to tell you, I, I, you know, just based on some of the conversations I've had with people on Twitter and some conversations I've had with people elsewhere, I feel like I might be a little hot takey when it comes to Kofi Kingston and the fallout from this show and the follow-up. But, um, you know, when the match began, I think he was, what, the second or third guy into the match. They didn't really... Uh, hold off Kofi Kingston for drama. Um, I think the uh, what was it Daniel Bryan and who started the match with Bryan
1: was it? And no, I'm trying to let me let me fire it up again because I, I don't want to get was, it wrong. I it thought was it was, was Samoa. No, it wasn't Samoa Joe. Who was, the one Joe was? It, no, Joe. It, was Joe. it was Joe. It was Joe. Joe entered second. Yeah, it was Daniel oh, it was Bryan Joe and Bryan. Joe. Yeah, it was okay. Joe. Joe was the first one out. That, that's where I got. That's from,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Okay. So and, and then Kofi came in. He was either the second or third he guy. Third. He
1: was third after after Joe.
0: Right, so it's not like they even milked him for drama. And the one thing I noticed when Kofi's pod was opened is, Rich, he got zero reaction coming out of his pod. And what I'm thinking at that point is, wow, the match did not resonate at all. It didn't carry over. Nobody cares about this man. But then as the match progressed and it came down to Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston, the crowd was wildly behind Kofi. And badly wanted him to win the match. So I think what happened here was the way that this company books and the way that they've teased their audience over the years when it comes to pushing new people, I don't think anybody bought into Kofi. They were afraid to buy into him until they were certain that he had a chance at this thing. Because there was no reaction to him coming out of that pod. People were being cautious at that point. And then they were like, all right. They're giving it to us. We're down to the end here. Let's get behind this guy. And I don't think that's unfair for the fans to react that way. They were scared shitless. And I almost fired off a tweet when Kofi entered uh, to the to the just non reaction he the to. I almost fired off a tweet that said I would not be shocked if he's eliminated first. And it wouldn't have shocked me if he was eliminated first because they're so bad at the follow up a lot of times. And he got over so well in the gauntlet match that it's like this is the kind of thing that this company drops the ball on countless times uh, each and every year so I, I was kind of surprised that they had him go to the end and then once they got to the end I thought Daniel Bryan did a masterful job with him uh, I thought you know Kofi for his part did well uh, too obviously but I thought Bryan really just you know he, he, they, they really uh, per- because look did anyone like to get people to buy into the idea that Kofi Kingston could have possibly won that match and won the title? <laughs> after,
1: after a decade, literally a decade after he basically did the thing with Randy Orton uh, at MSG that we all, anybody who was watching then, like, this has happened before. And, and, and it felt like in that moment, I, we weren't doing the podcast at the time, but I know you and I were, were on the message yeah. board talking about it. Do you remember the reaction? that night, when, when Kofi Kingston was beating down on Randy Orton's car, went out there at MSG, put him through a table, like, people were going nuts, and thinking, this is it, Kofi has arrived, and that was in 2008, I think. And, uh, obviously,
0: that has not happened. We've not only seen this movie before, we've seen it with this guy. Right. So, it's like... And, and to get people to believe that when they were going to... Um, when they were, uh, you know, switching to crowd reactions for near falls and there were people like buying into the idea that this man could win. I just I was like, wow, this is crazy. they were just doing such a great job with this. These two guys, particularly Brian in, uh, in, in putting over the idea that he could potentially lose. And then, uh, you know, it, it, it was really it, it carried. Look, the, it was a nothing match until it was the last two. I mean, at, at that point in the match until it got down to the last two, I was thinking that the women's elimination chamber match was blowing this match out of the water because the women's chamber match, even though it was sloppy and a little messy and, some of the stuff didn't look great. It was action packed and it was fun.
1: They did shit. They they did a lot of shit wrong, but they were doing shit. Which in this match, no, I I, I felt a similar way. I actually fell asleep the first time I watched this match and I had to go and rewind it because there was a point like in the middle of the chunk, maybe like a fifteen minutes, where just not a bunch of guys were in the ring, but nothing was happening. Of note. nothing mattered at all for like that big entire chunk. And I was I was the same way as you that when. It really until Kofi pinned Randy Orton. I think that was the real changing of the guard right there is because like you said, the fans maybe bought in a little bit of like, oh shit, like it's Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan. That's it. Like Kofi is it. Right. He's the last guy. Are they going to actually do this with him? Like, and I think a lot of people probably assumed that they weren't going to do it with him, but it was enough of a tease, and they kept him in the match a little bit long enough, and they had him pin Randy Orton, which I think was important, because you're not wrong, and, and that, that is going to seem hot-taking. I know people are going to get upset about that, but people didn't, when that pot opened and he came out, everyone just said, ah, this guy's just going to get his ass kicked by you know, Samoa Joe or something like that. Like This was all a bill just to have him get killed by Samoa Joe or get him, get, you know, eat a Styles Clash and get pinned or whatever, but then he stayed in there and stayed in there, and, and it felt like at any point Randy Orton could have pinned him as well, but then when he hit the Trouble in Paradise and pinned Randy Orton, and it was just Brian and Kofi, then the crowd finally kind of rose up and said, Oh, oh, okay. Oh, maybe we got something here. And I think that was good bit of storytelling from that to, to, to have Kofi come in as early as he did not really do a whole lot, but stay in the match long enough to get people to, you know, sort of rise up and realize that, Oh shit, this guy's still in the ring and he could win this thing. And I think that, that it's not easy to do. And they're very, very bad at doing it uh, a a lot of times. So I think they did a good job. Here on this night of getting people in, in, involved in it, and and of course the match with Brian and, and, and Kofi, you know the kind of sub match within the chamber, I thought was fantastic. A lot of really great near falls. Felt to me, and I don't know if you felt this, Joe. It felt like it just went a little too long. Like, there was a point where I, I kind of had already sensed that Kofi's probably not going to do this, and I think the fans kind of sensed it too, but they were still doing kickouts and still doing moves and, and still transitioning, and you could feel kind of the crowd fatigue going like, all right, we, we, we get the story. Yeah, just just beat him, all right? We know that he's probably not going to win. Just just beat him. But there was a point there where, where the, any one of those kickouts and every little near fall was getting a huge buy-in from the crowd. So so I definitely, you know, I, I'll commend them for that. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job of it.
0: I don't think they ever lo- lost the crowd. So um, I, I know what you're saying. It did feel to because look, I never bought that Kofi was going to win, but it was fun watching the crowd buy into the idea that Kofi could win. And um, since they stayed with it the whole way, they, that it went a little too long because they didn't lose the crowd at any point. Um, but, you know, I thought uh, the, the thing about it was too, is the, he wasn't even supposed to be in the match. I mean, this was Mustafa Ali's spot, and he got injured. And I have no idea if Mustafa Ali had been in the match, if he would have been in the final two with Bryan. I suspect he would have been, based on the story they've been telling with Ali. Look, he made his SmackDown debut pinning Daniel Bryan. Right, right, right. right. um, And and all along, he's been involved in the top mix. So if, if, if we can just assume that he would have been in the same exact spot as Kingston, I think they did a tremendous job and listen we get accused of beating up on this company unfairly and and all that but i'll i think they did a tremendous job of pivoting the story to this is kofi kingston he's been in the company for a thousand years he's never even sniffed uh the world championship this is his opportunity this is his time they did such a great job pivoting the story in that direction from with mustafa ali it would have been here's this young upstart He could be the next big thing tonight. It would have been a similar but slightly different story with Mustafa Ali. Um, And I thought they did a tremendous job pivoting it and changing it up very slightly to better suit Kofi Kingston. And it all worked, obviously, because not only did it get over live, you know, uh, the after effects and the ripple effects of this are there are people who want Kofi Kingston to win this title now. He's not going to win this title. I think it would be a huge, massive mistake for him to win this title, but we can get more into that in a minute. But I think that as, as great as this all came off and as great of a job as the company did, um, replacing Ali with someone who can get a comparable response. I, th- th- it's bugging me in the back of my mind that I, I fear that Mustafa Ali missed his moment and I know that he's been on the main roster for 10 minutes. I know that he's young. I know he's got plenty of time, but Rich, we know this company.
1: Okay? We've seen them. Yeah, this it's- is not the first time that an injury, or, or we're not saying, you know, this wouldn't be the first time, I should say, that an injury has derailed a young wrestlers push in that company. Cause once they're kind of done with you, even in that l- little brief moment, they're kind of done with you forever. And like, you know, we were talking about it, you know, offline a little bit uh, of people like Fandango. I don't know. People, again, like it seems ridiculous because you're like Fandango, but there was a time where they were pushing Fandango. Remember he pinned Chris. Jericho. I forget what pay-per-view it was. Maybe even a freaking WrestleMania, WrestleMania or whatever. It was a WrestleMania. WrestleMania. I thought it was a WrestleMania. They pinned, they had Fandango pin Chris Jericho and it felt like he was on the rise and then he got a concussion and they never went back to him ever again he got stuck doing stuff with tyler breeze he got stuck just being fandango random bullshit they never went back to the guy dolph ziggler a very classic moment too he would you know i think he won the title if i remember correctly right it didn't he win the title and then got a concussion and had to relinquish the title and they almost never i mean he has never really main evented to that level uh again i mean they do that time and time again they have done that many times where a guy rises up rises up rises up they have a story for him they get injured and then they just come old news. And we know how Vince McMahon thinks. We know that he thinks in the moment, whatever he's looking at right now and who's ever in front of him right now, I, if Mustafa Ali is out of his purview for, for a few weeks, that might be it. He might never go back to that. There's not a foregone conclusion that he has, you know, Mustafa Ali, Ali's name on a whiteboard and goes, all right, cool. All right, well, he's back to healthy. All right, let's get back to Ali. Like, there's no chance of that. I mean, or I, I shouldn't say there's no chance of that, but there's a very strong chance that he's erased that name from the whiteboard and Ali's kind of done, you know, this push is now never going to go back to him, and, and, and he missed his chance by getting hurt. And that's, you know, it seems cruel to say that, but they've done that before, many, many times.
0: I mean, just look at Finn Balor. He wins the year. U- I mean, he's the greatest title. example.
1: Yeah, he's probably the greatest example to use.
0: Hurts his shoulder, and he had tons of momentum and had to relinquish the title the very next night or the next week or whatever it was, and... I, you know, he may never, ever get back to that level. And it's not even necessarily sometimes it's they don't trust you. If once you have the reputation of being injury prone, that's definitely a thing. But sometimes, Rich, it's simply a case of the company moves on and, and, you, and you are forgotten. They move on to other things and, and that's that. And they never get back to you. And I feel like if Mustafa Ali hadn't been injured and assuming he would have been given the same spot in the match, I feel like he would have gotten over tremendously in that match because that's right in his wheelhouse, okay? This is a guy who was getting over weekly on 205 Live where none of the fans care about anything. This is a guy who you saw locally uh, get over in front of local crowds. This is a guy who came up to SmackDown and got over instantly. And it helped that they gave him a push right out of the gate. But this is a dude who has the perfect kind of charisma to be an underdog. And this role would have suited him perfectly. And Daniel Bryan likes him and is behind him. The main eventers on SmackDown, they pushed for Mustafa Ali to get moved to the show. So you have that factor as well where Daniel Bryan would have worked his ass off to help the guy get over in that spot. And my fear... Is that because he missed that opportunity due to injury, that this massive company, which just keeps rolling along, is just going to continue to roll along. And he's going to lose his spot, miss his opportunity, however you want to frame it. Especially considering how well Kofi Kingston got over as well. I am not convinced, as well as Kofi Kingston got over in that match, that Ali wouldn't have gotten And I know that almost nobody agrees. There's Twitter, and a lot of people disagreed. Some people called me crazy. But I really believe in Mustafa Ali to that level. And, Rich, I've said it on this show a million times before yeah. he even got mm-hmm. called up. And I've been saying it on the TV reviews on 205 Live. How you know, I really believe in that guy. And I think this match and this structure of match and this story perfectly suited him. And here's why I rather would have had Ali in that spot. Kofi Kingston, to me, is damaged goods. He's been around 10 years, and I know that people are rallying around him now, but at the end of the day, he's still mid-card dancing pancake man, Kofi Kingston, and he has that stigma. Mustafa Ali is fresh. He hasn't been beaten into the ground with terrible booking yet, and I really think Mustafa Ali was a chance to make a brand new star. I think this Kofi Kingston thing is good. I think you try it. I think you attempt to strike while the iron is hot, but at the end of the day, I don't feel like fans are going to see him at that tippy top level. I, I agree that they're hot for him now, but I don't think that Kofi Kingston is someone that I would go all the way with. I would need way more evidence than two matches. And I'm sure he'll get a good reaction to fast lane. Here's the problem with fast lane, Rich. He has to lose again. So that tells me that the company kind of agrees with me. And, 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 and I never come on this show. I, Rich, we always come on this show and say, God damn it, make somebody, push him. But this is one time where I kind of agree with the company, where you get a couple pay-per-views out of Kofi Kingston, but at the end of the day, I really don't think that guy's a top guy. And I don't even necessarily think it's because he's gotten beaten up in the booking. I don't necessarily think he's got it in him to be a top guy. People might kill me for that. That's just my take. And Mustafa Ali, look, I don't know. But I think that would have been an opportunity to possibly... Make a guy in one night. And I know that's giving this company way too much credit and that's dangerous, but I don't know. That's where I kind of stand with, with uh, Kingston versus Ollie.
1: Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And I think it's important to note, and and, and I think you kind of said this, and, and and this is what I feel, is that you could – I think both stories – that they told or potentially could have told Ali and then what they did tell with Kofi Kingston works because the Kofi Kingston rising up from 10 years of mediocrity to have this great moment and, and nearly win the title is a great little story to tell. The problem, though, is the follow up is kind of just like, all right, you kind of got that. He had his little moment and now he's back down like they're going to go back at it at Fastlane but I don't know if they're ever going to be able to re that. You know what I mean? Like, it was in that moment, it was awesome to see this dude who's been held back and held down and done stupid shit and and, and felt like he was always on the cusp but never quite there, to have him have that one moment where he almost gets it, he's super, super close, but goddamn he just doesn't do it. And then he, now you know that it's like, oh, man, and then he just goes back. And, and, and probably, th- they've done that before. I mean, that's kind of Pro Wrestling Booking 101, too, to have that guy come out of nowhere, the guy that's been around the company forever, have that little hope run, get really close, and then just lose, and then he goes back down or whatever. That That's fine to do. And I think that that might have been what they're, and that might be what the plan ultimately is with Kofi. We know that they're going back at it at fast lane. Kofi's not going to win at fast lane. And we know that eventually the end of the line is that Brian is going to win and he's going to retain and Kofi's going to go back to throwing pancakes in the mid card. We know that that's the end story, right? Like I'm not I'm not trying to discredit anything that Kofi's doing or discredit anything that they're doing but we know that's the end of the story right Kofi Kingston is not beating Dean Bryan Kofi Kingston is not main eventing WrestleMania as the WWE champion right like we we can all agree on that right
0: That's the end game. And I'm not even necessarily, I don't even think that's wrong.
1: No. And and that's what I mean. Like that's, we all know that that's a story and that's a fun little story to tell for the few months that it's going to tell. It's a nice fling. It's a nice distraction or whatnot. But what you're saying is, and and again, I don't disagree. They pivoted to Kofi and did a great job with it. They made you believe that this guy who has been doing nothing for a decade almost won that title and it was great. He got a standing ovation. He got all that sort of stuff. It was a good moment. They're great at the moments. And, 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 and that's, that's one thing this company is awesome at right now is, is, is moments, like building off moments, not so much, but actually delivering a moment in time where you just open your eyes and this thing is happening in front of you and it's, it's great to sort of experience and whatnot. Like they're great at that. And the problem though is, and, and I totally agree with you, is that if Mustafa Ali was in this position, now you have momentum. Now you believe that the end game of this is that somewhere down the line, maybe it's in months, maybe it's in years, then Mustafa Ali is going to go and win that title, and this is going to be the beginning of the rise, or this is going to be something that we're always going to look back on, as opposed to, hey, that was a fun little month, the two-month fling we've had with Kofi Kingston, where he almost won the title. That was kind of cool. Okay, bye. And, and that's what I mean. Like I, I think, and, and that's sort of, I think, what you're saying as well, is that the Mustafa Ali story would have had more legs. He would have been a made man. Kofi is not a made man. Kofi is having a fun little few months here, and, and I'm enjoying it, and I know a lot of people are enjoying it, but we ultimately know what the end game is going to be. They've had this guy on the roster for a decade uh, you know, God, a decade and a half at this point, I think, really, if you if you look at it, and have done really nothing with him. So, I don't know, maybe maybe he shocks the world. He has these great performances, and Vince McMahon changes his mind, and he wins the subtle. I, I'm I'm not betting on that, though. I'm betting that, that Kofi does this little fling for a little bit and then goes back, whereas Ali, you could really buy into, or I know you and I could buy into, the fact that this is the jump-off point for whatever the next step in the career of Mustafa Ali is, and I don't think that is that way with Kofi Kingston. As fun as this may be... It ultimately, we know that there's a there's, there's a there, we know how this story ends. You know what I mean? We know how the book's going to end here, and it doesn't mean the book's not fun in between. But you know, ultimately, you, 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 you're kind of looking ahead and going, ah, you know, in a month it's going to kind of be over, and then he's going to go pivot to Kevin Owens or whatever WrestleMania, whatever he's going to do. So I, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it.
0: I, I think Kofi. Is just damaged goods through virtually no fault of his own.
1: No, I mean, uh, I he, he's been in that muck for 10 years. It's really, that, this company makes it so hard to get out of that muck. Yeah. So hard. We talk about a company that, that for many years, Dragon Gate was great at having guys in the undercard and shit. We talked, you know, we, you and I didn't talk about it at the same time, but Pac KZ. KZ was a guy in the muck for years and years and years and years and years and years. And all they have to do is really kind of get behind somebody for a few months, get behind somebody for a month, and it feels like, all right, cool. Like this guy, I believe that Mochizuki could rise up from the mid card and win this. I believe that KZ could go and do this. I believe that whoever, like you, you, you know, your of whoever you want to say, like they were so good dragging it for years and years and years. At just bringing a guy up and moving him up to that next level, having him have his little spot. And then if he lost, he would go back down. And then you knew that, hey, maybe in a few years, he'll come back up again. This company does not, though. Once you're in that muck, once you're slotted, you're pretty much slotted. And we met, and it, it kind of refers to the, the Finn Balor thing that we talked about as well, is that Finn was. Above the muck, he got hurt. Now he's in the muck, and it is it, it, to me it's impossible to find a scenario where he gets out of that ever. And now we're talking years of being in the muck. I mean, it's very difficult to get out of there if you've been there for a year or two. Kofi Kingston's been in that for ten years. You know, it's 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 really hard to get people to buy in to to him being a credible. Top top tier guy, but I don't I don't know. I mean I I think to your point too, if if there was gonna be anybody who would rise above that muck and, and defy logic and defy odds and all that sort of stuff, is it gonna be Kofi Kingston? Like I, I don't know. I don't really think so.
0: He's done it for two weeks and he may do it for another show as well. And I'd like to be wrong. It'd be oh, great I'd love to.
1: That'd be awesome. This would be, cr- this, be would let, he- this would let us know that the mid card is not death in this company, that you can actually rise up out of it and do something. So I I, I hope I hope he just kills it. I hope he absolutely kills it. We'll see.
0: Well, it'd be great if, if they lucked into something here. Um, but I, I look, there's nothing wrong with being the centerpiece of a good two-month story and that being the story. Um, the, the thing about it is, I, I, the other thing about I think I, you brought up Casey, and I think that's a perfect comparison because I don't believe in Casey as a top guy either. But I think that Casey rising up and getting that title shot against Pac and having that great match was a great story. Um, and I know that Casey is, has been a guy who's been in the in the middle forever, just like Kofi Kingston. And I just don't see Casey as having that, those those intangible, innate qualities that make you a top guy. So I think that's an awesome comparison because I don't see Casey as a guy who you can slap the dream gate on for eight months and carry your company. I, I, I don't see that ever happening. And there's some Dragon Gate fans who, who vehemently disagree with me on that front as well. I think it's possible to be enormously popular, but not company centerpiece material is basically what I'm getting at. Right, right. And, and, and maybe enormously pop, uh, popular is bad terminology. Because if you're enormously popular, you are a top guy. Um, I just don't think that WWE fans or Dragon Gate fans will ever get behind Kofi Kingston or Casey at that level to where they are the money-driving stars. I, I just personally don't see that. Um, now, now Mustafa Ali, who knows? It's way too early to tell. The thing about Mustafa Ali is I think he's better than Kofi Kingston in virtually every way. The one area that Kofi Kingston is ahead of him is, is, is uh, charisma. He, he has been there for 10 years. He does know how to get over with WWE crowds. Those are things Ali will have to learn, and the jury is out. I think Ali is a better and more dynamic worker. And I think he just has that special underdog quality that you cannot teach. He just, he just has that. And um, in a company where he's almost always going to be the smaller guy, I think that's very important to have that. Um, he's also a confident guy. He exudes confidence. Uh, so, you know, it's just – it would, it would really be a shame if the train passes him by Through really what was no fault of his own, if they just move on and forget about him, because he really was a project of theirs that they were building up for that moment, uh, for the couple of months that he was, that he was on the main roster. But, but I mean, Rich, it's kind of like, I know the Kofi thing was, was somewhat accidental. He wasn't meant to be in the spot, but they kind of ended up getting boxed in a corner. You got to do the match at Fastlane, but again, he has to lose. So now you have a situation where the 10 year Mid Carter is losing twice in a row. And again, unlike Mustafa Ali, who's new and fresh and the fans could take it as, oh, well, you know what? He's on the come up. He's just not ready for Daniel Bryan yet. But shit, this guy is is a hot new star. And maybe he'll get Daniel Bryan in six months or a year. You know, it's not damaging for Mustafa Ali to lose those two matches in a row. Kofi Kingston loses those two matches in a row. And it's just reinforcing what everybody already thinks about Kofi Kingston after 10 years of conditioning which is another reason why I think Mustafa Ali would have been better in the spot. And that doesn't mean that Kofi didn't kill it in the spot or that the company didn't kill it with the way they pivoted the story because they did. Both guys, it doesn't mean that only one person could have succeeded in that spot. They proved that two people did very well in it. And I'll be honest, when they they put Kofi in the spot, I thought, man, why isn't this Big E? But this worked out much better than Big E would have worked out with Kofi. So there's no question about that, I think. I think they had a much better story to tell with Kofi than they did with Big E, even though I think we both agree that Big E is a guy who should have been pushed as a main eventer. He
1: is going to be... I I already have have the column ready for in 10 years when when eventually he retires or he's out of. like The biggest missed opportunity in that company of all time is going to be a guy like a Big E, who is just like charisma for days, has a million-dollar look, he's great in the ring, he's powerful, he's personal person outside of the ring as well and she's like you did nothing with this guy Rusev too Rusev and Big E are gonna go down and they it's awesome that they had like that little mini feud with each other back what was that three four years ago or whatever where it was like holy fuck these guys are great like they're ready and that was you know that was four or five years ago and it's like oh no they've done nothing because Rusev outside of WWE is like the coolest dude in the world you know what I mean like you watch him on YouTube and you see him on Instagram and he's just a cool ass dude with a hot wife you know what I mean like what a life like he just looks he's just this weird hairy dude with a hot Wife, that's just a cool ass dude, and like, you could do so much with them but they just don't. Oh, they never did. And the Biggie, oh, geez, whatever, whatever, it's fine. But
0: yeah, but I mean, I it, it's, um, I don't know. This is one instance where I'm not gonna, I, I, where I'm actually with the company. If they peel back on Kofi after Fastlane, this is one of the few instances where I am gonna be in agreement with the company. I just, I think it's a nice little two month story, and I think you're really pushing it if you try to get more out of it than that. And I will be very, I will be more than happy to look like a goof. I'll tell you what, we'll play this audio in a year. If Kofi Kingston is a main eventer in that company and he's killing it and I was wrong. And this is the launching point for Kofi Kingston, not because I want to be right. It's because I want to be wrong. So we'll play this audio in a year and we'll laugh at Joe Lanza for being totally off base and if this is truly the start of something for Kofi Kingston and I will, ha- it'll almost be like when Dave Meltzer bet Cody Rhodes, but he was happy that he lost the bet. Same deal here. I will be happy to be wrong about this, but I just don't think Kofi Kingston is yeah.
1: it. And and to me, honestly, and it's kind of, then we'll move on here. I don't mind these little micro stories. I don't mind a little two-month story of a guy getting a run. I th- This is the stuff that I miss. I like when this stuff happens. You go watch old, you know, 605s, you know, NWA, you know, World Championship Wrestling or whatnot, and they have these little micro stories. Somebody rises up to face Flair, they they, they got a little bit of momentum, and then, you know, two months later, they try Ric Flair, he beats him down, he he beats him, and then they go back to the mid-card, and it's like, alright, well, he had his chance. Like, eh, well, he did it. Sometimes sometimes guys win those, sometimes guys lose those, but I like that. I mean, I think, to me, I much prefer that story. I, I like the idea of a guy guys sort of rising up from the mid card, getting a little bit of momentum and then losing. Like I talk about, I love when Dragon Gate does it. and And I wouldn't mind if this became something that this company does a lot because there are so many guys that I think fans are going to rally behind because they feel that so many of these guys have been underdeveloped, underutilized, underused, or whatnot. And so we know the talent's there. We know they have tremendous talent on that, that that undercard. So I think it'd be great. Like, if when Sami Zayn comes back, I mean, he's a perfect guy to have this happen to, where, where he has a little two-month, three-month run or whatever. He doesn't win the title, but you had a little bit of hope spots. You had a few moments here and there, and then he goes back, and it's fine. Like, it, it is what it is. You can go back to the muck. But, but the idea that you can never rise above the muck, I think, causes a lot of, uh, you, you know, causes a lot of issues. Whereas, if people can somewhat rise up from the muck and maybe they win, or maybe they don't, or whatever, I think that does help it out a lot. So, I'm all in favor of these stories like this. If they, if they, after this two months, you know, Kofi loses and he's right back to the mid card, yeah, the story ultimately would be a little bit disappointing. But I don't really mind it that much because I, I think it was a nice little diversion, and there were some different matches, and we got to see a different guy in the top spot versus the same six or seven people over and over and over and over, and over again. So, I'm fine with it. I like the story being told. So, I'm just gonna kind of enjoy it in the moment as it's going on. So.
0: You mentioned WCW. Ric Flair used to have world title matches on like Clash of Champions and and on TV with people like Bobby Eaton. Yeah, Ricky right, right,
1: right, right. Or Ronnie Garvin and, one and, time, and, but then Ronnie Garvin actually won the title. That was Whoops! Like, maybe which
0: I'll... there you go. Which <laughs> <Don't>... ended up, <laughs> right. which ended up being a huge mistake. <laughs> right,
1: so, guys. No, no, no. You just have Ronnie get challenged, and then he loses, and then he goes away. You, you don't actually give it's... Ronnie Garvin the title. But and
0: that's what I kind of feel like. Kofi Kingston, and he's the kind of guy who you can root for to win the title. But if he really wins it, is that really what you want? Right, right. Do you really want Kofi <laughs> Kingston as your world champion? I mean, he's it's fun to pull for that. It's like. Did people really want Bobby Eaton to win that match at Clash of Champions? I, they, in their heart of hearts, they probably didn't, and it wouldn't have worked. But you know, they, but you rally around him for a couple weeks or a couple months. So that's kind of where I see Kofi. Um, and I'd love to be wrong, but let's let's look at the rest of this card. I will say this, Rich. I, correct me if I'm wrong, and okay. you can you can shoot me down and destroy this point I'm going to make if you like. But well, you're probably more interested in the fast lane main event now than you would have been otherwise since they're doing that rematch. Right or oh, wrong?
1: Right. Yeah, oh, correct, correct, for sure.
0: So, I mean, so there you go. I mean, that proves right there that this thing still has some legs. And, and without question, there are people rallying in behind Kofi, and that's a good thing. There's people, um, you know, interested in that match and, 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 and interested in this guy potentially winning it. The- by the way i mean just forget it but uh, i hate to sh- piss in your cornflakes but kofi kinks does not what. especially listen if this was like in fucking november or something and yeah august may, you know, i, I could buy it in,
1: in august yeah i could buy it in august i'm not buying it now
0: so or fucking may or whatever then i could say you know what it doesn't matter okay they've, they've treated these titles a little better in recent years but at the end of the day it doesn't matter maybe they put it on them for a couple weeks but you're not doing that um you know with wrestlemania coming up you're just not doing it uh, um, all right, so let's start the top question I ask you every month.
1: Did you watch the pre show, Matt? <laughs> I didn't. I forgot about this one. I wanted Holy to. shit. I know. I'm an idiot. I, I, when, when we fired up the show and I looked at that and I went, oh no, I remember I was supposed to watch that. And I never did. I feel terrible. I do need to go watch that. I am going to, I am going to, wa- I promise the second the show is over, I'm going to watch it. I, I, I am sorry, Joe. I heard it you was. You can
0: make a real argument that big match buddy and Akira Tozawa were in the best match of the pay-per-view two months in a row. And you didn't watch them.
1: This it one I feel particularly bad about. This one I feel bad about. Because I heard people say that I know, I know, I know. Because my, my critiques, and I talked about it when I was previewing Elimination Chamber and our little solo things, is that even an incredible match done in front of a half half an audience that doesn't really give a shit, that's looking for their seats and eating popcorn and on their phone and talking with their friends or whatnot, even, an, even a five-star match in that environment is going to be dragged down a little bit for me. But then I heard from people that said, Rich, I'm with you, but this went above that. This was better than that. Like, I know your critiques and I know what you're saying, but I promise these dudes delivered. So I, I do feel really bad about this. I should go back and watch this one.
0: Don't watch the rest of the pre-show. Uh, oh, actually, this was the only match on the pre-show this month. Uh, what am I confusing this with? Oh um, no, wasn't there? What else was? Uh, Rumble, oh no, what had, what else Rumble had Rumble had
1: one? that revival versus yeah, right. AOP and guy and, and
0: like I Nak- Nakamura was. Nakamura versus Rusev.
1: <laughs> Right, right, right. Um,
0: but yeah, this was the only match. Um, look, I went four and a quarter on this. I mean, you know, this was depending what you thought of the. See, here's the weird thing with the men's Rumble. It was just shit until the final segment. Like, I don't, and then I don't know what to do with that. We had this same conversation with the women's Royal Rumble. Remember the women's Royal Rumble, which was shit for like almost an hour. And then the last 15 minutes were really good. What do you do with that? I mean, does that mean it's a good match? Fucking uh, an average. That's what the men's elimination chamber was like. It was doing nothing for me. I was prepared to to call it a two-star special. And then the Brian Kingston segment happened. And that was like a -a four-and-a-half-star segment. What do I do with that, Rich? What do you do in that case?
1: Yeah, I, I have a tough time with those sort of matches. The matches where the beginning absolutely stinks and then the last part is great. Like, I tend to just sort of give it, I, I kind of go middle ground with it. I go, okay, and like you said, I split it in half of like, okay, when the match got good, and and the, the, the Elimination Chamber is a perfect opportunity to do that because like the Brian Kofi stuff, I love, I mean, that stuff was like, I, I I really, really enjoyed that last little, whatever it was, like 10 minutes or whatever they had between those two. But if the first match kind of, stunk, I kind of split it in half and go, okay, what would I rate everything up into that point? And then what I rate after that point? And I kind of find a middle ground. So like that one, the elimination shipper, I think I went like three and a half stars with because I was like, all right, that you know, the, the, the last stuff with Brian and Kofi, that was like four and a quarter, three, four and a half. Like that was right up there. But the stuff before that was like a two, you know, <laughs> like it was just nothing was going yeah. on. Nothing was happening. So I kind of find a weird middle ground, but it, it, it's difficult. I get how some people would maybe just rate the last half and and, and just do that. But I, I always have a really tough time doing that. I, um, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I it's kind of tricky. Yeah.
0: I couldn't realistically go below four for the main event. I just couldn't because the, the, the Kofi and Brian stuff was just so good and, and had the crowd in the palm of their hands and all that. But uh, Tazawa knocked it out of the park. And that's two months in a row with Big Match Buddy and Tazawa on a pre-show match, arguably having the best match on, on, on the card. And 205 Live has just been uh, so well-booked. And now they're doing – I don't know if you heard, Rich, because I know you don't watch the show, but they're doing an eight-man tournament. I think it's an eight-man tournament. To determine murphy's challenger at wrestlemania which unfortunately will be another pre-show match no question about it but <laughs> but
1: oh my god it's and, and that's the thing can we talk about that too can we talk about the pre-show like yeah. bumping these dudes in the pre-show every single day like just fucking from the beginning announced it as the pre-show i fi- imagine being that guy imagine being buddy murphy and you know on tuesday that you do your little thing and they say ah Elimination Chamber, Buddy Murphy versus Akira Tozawa. And you know that you're probably going to be on the pre-show. You know they're probably going to bump you. But they they just wait until like Friday to announce it. Oh, Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa will be on our pre-show. And then you know that you're going to go out there and you're going to kill it. Like, how would you? I, 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 I admire these guys for going out there and killing it as much as they do. I admire these guys for 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 still having that pride to do that because I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would say fuck off. You have a four hour pay per view with a bunch of bull. We're gonna talk about the bullshit that happened on this show too, and like you can't give us. 13 minutes on the main show. We have to do it in front of a half-filled crowd. We have to get a commercial break. We have to have Sam Roberts yammering on about nonsense in the background of our match, too. It's like, that just sucks. You know what I mean? What a gut punch that is to just show up and know that you're on the pre-show. You're at the kids' table, as you said. It's just like, you couldn't find 14 minutes for these guys on the main, ro- the main show.
0: Oh, and this show had so much filler.
1: Right. Uh, especially watching this, knowing these guys are sitting in the backstage, knowing what they did in that opener. What they did on that pre-show and then watching, you know, Finn Balor and Lashley and Root and, and, and that thing being 10 minutes. It was just like, what the fuck? You can't well, find it, 14 it, goddamn minutes for these guys.
0: But here's the bigger issue with that. It's telling an audience that doesn't watch 205 Live and may not subscribe to the network, the people in the crowd or whatnot, that you're telling them it's unimportant and they shouldn't care right. about it. Because yeah. it's on the pre-show every month. Wouldn't, shouldn't a better strategy be, all right, network subscriptions are down. People are mad about Saudi Arabia. Maybe if we feature this show that people can only see on the network, it'll entice a few people to buy the damn thing. If these go out there, if these guys go out there and have a good match. And we just called up Mustafa Ali from this show, who we think could maybe be a star. Otherwise, we wouldn't have booked them the way that we did. Maybe that have a. Sh- chance at this thing and maybe we should feature these guys to our audience uh you know our greater audience that may not have the network i don't understand why you have things like to 20- don't even attempt to use them to make money or to make stars
1: yeah it's it's it. perplexing yeah i i feel the much better strategy is to make them feel important and have people watch them but i that's it's a weird it's a bold and it's a weird strategy i know but to me, that's a better strategy than let's ignore these guys and just kind of stuff them on the pre-show and nobody really pays attention or notices. It's, and tell people strange. that the brand doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's weird. I If I were in charge, if I had the pencil, I would try to make people important and try to make the show that's on my network important. But, you know, they do them, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> How many months in a row of Buddy Murphy killing it on the main show where people are conditioned to pay attention to what's happening do you think it would take before people said, hey, wow, this Buddy Murphy's pretty fucking good? Probably not Maybe that young.
1: long. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I, on all these matches, I see, like, you know, about halfway through the match, everybody gets into it because, like, it starts out with, like, crickets because nobody knows the story. Nobody gives a shit. And then they do a bunch of cool shit for 10 minutes. And then the last, you know, few minutes of the match, people are going nuts because these guys have been doing cool shit and having really fun matches. And then they go away. And then, they're you know, it's back to the next month. And we're back to the beginning where we're on the pre show. And, oh, wait, 10 minutes of boring. And then, oh, wait, three minutes of, oh, these guys are doing cool shit. It's just the same old shit over and over and over again. Every single month, it feels like we're 205- in this- times warp it's just like jesus christ and listen
0: it has a well-earned reputation of dead happening after smackdown and all that and there's no question that when like i tony q balls count anywhere match where they killed each other and had a damn good match and no one cared about anything but that's because noam dar and tony niece have no charisma and they are will never be stars Okay, uh, But I've seen Mustafa Ali and Buddy Murphy and Akira Tozawa, those three guys in particular, take completely dead crowds and have them into their matches by the end of the, by the, end of the match. And there's no reason that that can't happen on a pay-per-view. But at any rate, Buddy Murphy retains. It was another great match. He's going to go into WrestleMania with the title. But what I was going to ask you is, with this tournament coming up, do you think they shoehorn Kushida into that thing? And no. if they do, should he win it?
1: That's a good one because they haven't really said anything about him. They didn't show him. I think one of the telling things is that when they did the performance center picture and it was ACH and Trevor Lee and all those guys kind of smiling in the background. Sam Shaw, who they just had to sign. (laughs) That's my favorite one of the entire thing. Sam right. Shaw, really? Like, just admit that she didn't want NWA or Ollie to have him. Like, you don't want Sam Shaw. Nobody wants Sam Shaw. <laughs> like,
0: come he's on. pretty yoked. I don't know. He is uh, uh,
1: yoked. He is yoked out of his mind. Nice haircut, too. But uh been taking
0: his vitamins. I, I'll give him that. Has.
1: But, but um, like, I, I just love that where it's like, I'm just like, oh, the Sam Shaw. Come on, you guys. Like, you don't really want Sam Shaw. But, but the but, thing
0: about but the thing about Kushida is we've heard all along that he's skipping the line and going. Right,
1: right, because he wasn't in that picture. They haven't mentioned him whatsoever. So that makes to me. I was like, okay, then, all right. So we know then that that the 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 plan is for him not to be a kind of the performance center class, which we kind of knew and assumed. But until I really saw it with my own eyes, I was like, all right. Now we know for a fact that he's kind of skipping the line. I think they should do that right away. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like. I don't really think that like ACH needs to be in the performance center. Like, I think he would be great for this too. Not that I really want him earmarked for the 205 Live thing, but you know, get serious about 205 Live. And I think you could bring up a guy like an ACH and a Kushida all in one fell swoop and have them kind of be in this tournament. But, you know, whatever. There's a
0: there's a lot of guys who don't belong in the performance center, but Triple H has to have his toys for his takeovers. Right, right. You no. know how that goes. It's 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 a third brand, and the brand is only gonna grow. And we've seen it grow and look, they're they called the guys up the raw, we'll get to that. And and so I I think. We all know it's serving a dual purpose. It's developmental, and it's also a third brand where you have to have good math. Where it's calling card is having. Um, but in the case of Kushida, uh, if he's in it, if he's in that eight-man tournament, he has to win it, right?
1: Oh no, he and can't come out and then just like lose. Yeah, then like you're pretty well done. Yeah, no, he's, he's got to win he's, it.
0: He's, not, he's not. losing to Arya Davari in the second round. Okay, he's got to win it. And if you're a two hundred five live guy. Are you going to be a little annoyed that you've been toiling away on this brand for two years, and a guy moonwalks into the company and heads to WrestleMania? I mean, it's kind of it's got to be a kick in the fucking dick.
1: Yeah, maybe, but Gallagher
0: like, or yeah, or, but
1: those guys suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, you know, okay, but you know, Kushida's a star and he's better than you guys. Like, I don't know. Am I? I, I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd be that. Like, I'm saying that as a guy who's sitting here on you know, <laughs> like not one of those guys. But if I'm Jack Gallagher, like, I don't know. I, am I? Am I that good that I really think that Kushida skipping me in line is something that's going to really? I mean, I'm sure they would be upset by that, but I don't know. I don't know if that's you're, rational. Like
0: you're not showing up to work is maybe working a match and then being then going home for six days and not working the road, not making video game money, not making house show money. You're not that. Gu- I'm saying I think there'd be a fucking revolt at this point if Kushida just shows up. And he immediately gets vaulted into the WrestleMania match. I think that'd be a match. Look, we already see people on that brand unhappy. Whether it's Mike Kanellis, now he's asking to go to NXT UK. So it's like, <laughs> he's anything to fucking just get send off
1: me away. Game. Just, just send me to England. I don't care.
0: <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen emo TJP lately, but he's. he's let's, TJP this week, he's grown a goatee, which is the first sign of um, I, I'm getting edgy. He's grown a goatee. He's looking soft in the body. And this is a guy who's like all about his fucking body and working out. He's getting pudgy around the waist. He's grown a goatee. He's got new tattoos. He's got all the signs of a man who is just throwing in the towel on, on, on what he's And he's getting real weird, even weirder, weirder than usual on social media. So you've got people in the, on this branch who are already frustrated because it's it, it, they get one 50-minute show a week. And six of them get on TV. Uh, so I don't know. But maybe we're jumping the gun. I just feel like with the new talent thing that they push every week, that an eight-man tournament would be a perfect way to, uh, to get Kushida into the mix. But uh, let's move on here. We had the tag team elimination chamber uh, with the ladies for the tag team titles. Yes, they crowned tag team champions in a match that was not a tag team match at all it was a uh elimination chamber match uh to recrown the tag team champions there was a big controversy that wwe wasn't recognizing the past champions
1: uh, <laughs> that was interesting uh, i was like Guys, I mean, I, in one breath I get it, but it's also like, man, those titles were gone in, like, what was it, like, 89? I, like, who cares? <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't this see anybody. Company does it. This company doesn't remember what they did a, two months ago. You want Vince McMahon to bring up, they, you want, you, do you really need Michael Cole to talk about the Glamour Girls? Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, that, Sometimes I care when they ignore history. This one's really stretching it, man. This was <laughs> decades ago.
0: The thing about the the women's tag team titles is I think they changed hands in the ring once, like uh, 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 the first time they changed hands. I have, it, I have
1: it. in front of me. Can can you? Okay, so there there were five champions. Joe, you don't. You're not looking at it right now, right? You got nothing. You're you're not looking at anything. Uh, no. So- I'm not. Okay. Good. Okay. So you are correct. There were five different champions. Uh, originally crowned in 1983, last uh, de- deactivated February 14th, 1989. So, uh, five champions in that time. Uh, you were correct that one of these title changes actually happened on an actual show that anybody watched.
0: Or or wasn't a worked match or something. It was like right. a real match. It, because the first champions were Velvet McIntyre and, and Princess Victoria, I believe. Uh, correct.
1: Bing, 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 and, bing. There you go. All right. And
0: Princess Victoria... I believe suffered a career-ending injury, and they yes, yes,
1: on September first, nineteen eighty-four, she suffered a career-ending neck injury uh, in Philadelphia, and Peterson took her place as Velvet McIntyre's partner,
0: Desiree Peterson. So we've got our first title switch, which did not happen in a ring. It just they handed the titles to a new person. To (laughs) looking at this next this next title change. Yeah. So then it was, I believe, years (laughs) passed.
1: uh yeah so this was december 7th 1984 when uh Desiree Pe- uh peterson took over yes uh then the glamour girls won it august 1st 1985 joe what town on this house show <laughs>
0: was this title changed i believe they won them in egypt
1: cairo egypt in august i heard it's beautiful that time of year uh, which look
0: uh, look <laughs> it's the
1: best one they've ever used
0: now listen <laughs> i'm not chris zellner <laughs> But I don't think that match happened
1: <laughs> You don't think there was an August house show in Cairo? Now I don't August.
0: No, if it did, it did. But something uh, tells me that didn't happen.
1: Did. Okay. Let's see who they also wrestled around that same time. I just want to see, you know, how quickly they got back from Egypt to run, you know, in fucking, like...
0: Now, at this point, I don't Albany,
1: even... <laughs> you know, like direct flight from Cairo to Albany no, but here's the the thing, night, yeah.
0: and at this point I don't even think they were the Glamour Girls I think it was just Leilani Kai and Judy Martin because this is like 1985 right? and the Glamour Girls gimmick didn't take hold until like 87 when they had Jimmy Hart as the manager and they gave them a gimmick really just to feud with the Jumping Bomb Angels was the whole point of that was to get the Jumping Bomb Angels on TV and then I think they traded the titles a couple times one or two of those titles you're the one looking at it um I don't know for 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 the exact um deal here. Uh, but I, I I remember seeing one of the title changes for sure. I watched
1: it. Yeah, Rumble. There was the yeah, two out of three falls. The Bomb Angels versus yes. uh, the Glamour Girls. So that's that's the famous one. I think that uh, many people remember. And the, people brought that match up right away. It's like, oh well, what about you're not talking about the German Bomb Angels and the Glamour Girls? Like, okay, yeah, that was a match that happened. You know, in 1988, and it was pretty good. And and that was kind of a definitive moment for these tag titles. But then the Glamour Girls won it. Uh, I think. The next, what is it, about 100 days later in uh, in Japan, which this, I think this match probably did actually happen, uh, they won it in 1988 and then basically just did nothing with the title until February when it just de- got deactivated and went away. So, well,
0: yeah, because the, it was just a device to use the Jumping Bomb Angels. Right. So when they were out of the, the, the picture, they just let it dissipate and they, and they were forgotten at that point. Um, because in those days whether it was these this tag team situation with the Jumping Bomb Angels and the Glamour Girls or whether it was Alundra Blaze wrestling either um, Bull Nakano or Bertha Faye every single night of the tour they never employed more than two people it, it, they they would either employ two tag teams at a time or two women at a time on the single side uh, you know once it got it deep into the 80s I guess early on in the eighties, they were using a lot of moolah's girls a lot of time, but but you get the idea here. Once the jumping bomb angels were out of the picture, those titles just faded into this. these titles discussed and 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 talked about uh, is absurd. I mean, there was two legitimate title shots, one that anybody saw for the most part, the Royal Rumble one, and. It's like when they brought back the Cruiserweight title, they didn't give us a history lesson on Esa Rios. I mean, you know, or, or whoever the fuck. I don't even know if he ever held it. He did, but, 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 But my point here is, like, why would the rules change now for arguably the least interesting titles in the history of the company? I mean, these titles have no history. The history of these titles are a jumping-bomb angels match that anyone remembers. That's it. So, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I get it. It would have been the idea that we needed a history lesson on these things. When there's no history, what the fuck were they going to talk about? I mean, you know, there's nothing there. But, um, but, but the precedent is that they don't do that anyway. But uh, it, it's whatever. Did you find out if they were really in Cairo, Egypt? Oh, uh, God,
1: uh, no. They, no, they definitely were not in Cairo whatsoever. It's, yeah, uh, so- they just showed up on house shows in November with the titles and said, ah, they want them in Cairo. So, yeah, they, uh, I, I, Judy Martin was also doing house shows around like Nassau <laughs> around the same time that she was also uh, in Cairo. So yeah, no, I don't, uh, I don't think that was a legit uh, house show that they did. So,
0: and the jumping bomb angels and the glamor girls were both awesome teams. Glamor girls were a hell of a team that, that really jumping bomb angels get all the talk, um, you know, we're surre- but even around that time, the women's division in the company was pretty damn good. If you go back and watch that survivor series, Women's match, and I believe the eighty—I want to say the eighty-seven show, maybe it's the eighty-eight show—the one where Sherry Martel uh, made her debut, and and that was a hell of a match. Uh, you know, the original Dawn Marie. Was in that match and Donna Christianello and
1: um, yeah, that that's it. That is eighty seven. By the way, if, if eighty seven. It's awesome. It's like twenty minutes long. There's just nonstop action. It's it's. I think it's a my favorite match in that entire Survivor Series eighty seven show. I mean, you have the you have the incredible ten on ten. You know, team thing where there's just the ring is you know falling down because there's so many men in the ring and there's fifteen managers on the outside or whatever. But that match before the women's match is awesome. That is like far and away the best match in that entire show. They
0: eliminate the garbage very quickly. Like like like. The Moolah scrubs like Christianello and Don Marie, they get eliminated very quickly. And then when it gets down to the nitty-gritty with Velvet McIntyre and Sherry Martel and the Jumping Bomb Angels and the Glamour Girls, it's an awesome match. It really is. Uh, and, and not even like on the curve of it happened, you know, thirty two years ago or whatever it was. It, it holds up. I mean, I watched that match about a year ago and uh, and it was a really fun watch. So that little period of time from about eighty seven to eighty-nine. The women's wrestling in WWF was, was pretty damn solid when they gave it to you. But uh, but at any rate, I, I, I guess they're calling these titles... Is it part of the... Because eventually they did recognize... I know they tweeted out a match clip of Velvet McIntyre and, uh, and Princess Victoria. So I think that they're considering bailey and sasha part of this lineage now but i don't know
1: because i I didn't know that because yeah when i'm looking at it right now and obviously wikipedia isn't the the official word or whatever that they have this they have them being the first champions on this but i don't know yeah i'm not sure how how they're going to work at that yeah so they they, they're saying inaugural champion but i don't know if you know officially they're saying that as well it'll be interesting to see how that how that works out over the next few months
0: i only say that because footage of like the first champs so i just assume that maybe but who knows It at, at the end of the day it really doesn't matter but um so anyway bailey and sasha banks as everyone expected win the match um and if you didn't expect it you had to know it when sasha banks came out she wasn't pouting that she was probably gonna win <laughs> because sasha banks
1: she wears it on her face man you know she
0: wears it on her face she is the sean michaels of modern wrestling you know, if it's a big match, whether she's going to win or lose as soon as she comes out from behind the curtain. And you knew she was winning this one. And the right team won. They should have won. They did the callback spot to the, to the other women's Elimination Chamber match, uh, which was important, I thought, key. Remember last year? Was it last year? I think it was last
1: year. Uh, last year, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, so they did that callback spot, but this time there was no betrayal. And, uh, and they went on to win the match. A very sloppy match. But nonstop action from bell to bell, Rich. I can live with sloppy if you're entertaining, and I thought this was a really fun match. I'd go three and a half, maybe even as you know, flirt with four, even though the work was sloppy and disjointed at times. And the the, the great spot, which has had me rolling, where Nia Jax went charging at Bailey, and the idea was that Bailey was supposed to dodge out of the way and Nia Jax go careening through the pod. Bailey must have missed her cue, or I don't know what happened, but Bailey didn't move an inch, and Nia Jax just ran right past her and ran through the pod, almost like she was doing it on purpose, which obviously she was, but in kayfabe terms, it looked absolutely ridiculous. Uh, There were some other disjointed spots like that, but listen, as a package, Rich, I enjoyed this, and the right team absolutely won.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think it was it was weird at moments, and there was a lot of like really bad spots and really things that looked terrible. I think there was one point where Peyton Royce just did like a flip dive right into Bailey's fucking face, and I was just like, "Oh God, like it'll just look like awful." Like, they, but the thing that I will give them with this is that they were ambitious throughout all this. They knew that hey, we are we're because I remember I talked about when I previewed this this match. I said, "Man, this there is not a lot of talent in this match. Like, there are a real real blow up potential in this match in terms of like." There is not. I mean, you have Carmella, you have Naomi, you got Sonia Deville, who's who's okay, but like you know, Nia Jax, Tamina. I mean, God, the Billy. Oh, you didn't even
0: mention Billy. Billy Kay and Peyton Royce fucking
1: stink. They're terrible. Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan are awful. I, I don't care what people say; they're terrible. But so you basically had Bailey and Sasha, kind of Naomi. Kind of Mandy, kind of Sonya. It's like the best talent that you have on this, and that's not good. But I think they made the absolute most of this. So it might have been an expectation thing where I came in thought, thinking this was going to be a complete disaster, and there were points that were pretty sloppy. But I think what was cool is that they just went balls to the wall, and they realized we just need to put a bunch of shit in this. We have to do a bunch of spots. We have to do a bunch of crazy shit, and they did. Like you contrast that to the the men's main event, the mains, the men's elimination chamber, where it was a little more plotting, a little more, oh, more slow, a little bit more. Yeah, they were a little bit more of like. Where, I don't want that. I want an elimination chamber. They were just doing shit in this one, and that's why I liked it. Yeah, I appreciate it. There was a lot of times where it didn't always work, but at least they went to balls the ball. They had 33 minutes, and it went by like that. Like you did not know that this was a 33 minute match because they didn't stop moving and stop doing stuff and stop. So I'll commend them on that. Like the work itself was not crisp, but the action was fun and it kept me entertained. Yes. So
0: I don't. And here's the thing: I think you can get away with
1: sloppy if you're doing plunder. <laughs> oh yeah, no. yeah.
0: A sloppy technical wrestling match is going to come off like shit. A sloppy plunder match kind of sort of adds to it in a weird way. So now look, there were some spots here where they were very clearly thinking their way through them and positioning themselves. I get that. But at the end of the day, it entertained me as a total package. We had the Usos uh, defeating The Miz and Shane McMahon. I have no use for anything involving The the Miz and Shane McMahon mcmahon i understand that this little one month run that they had that they're over with the crowd so i'm the one that's wrong about this i guess because their shit gets over um but the usos win the tag team titles back and um i don't know i mean it was it was it was pretty good i guess uh shane mcmahon did his elbow through the table i, I don't know what, what, what do you <laughs> I, Yeah, who
1: fucking cares about shane McMahon, the is i don't care it, it's just shane turned purple the Miz did Miz the Like it is what it is. I, I I can't even just we can move on. <laughs> it's just like, what do you say anymore about this? I don't
0: know what you want me to say about this. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I I I thought I don't it was a mortal lock. I thought once I found out the Jimmy Uso story when he got arrested and people were saying, Oh, you know, there's there's rumors that the Usos want to get out of their contracts. I you you could fucking lock it in that the Usos are gonna win that title. And gosh darn Joe, they did, and, and and that worked out. I think they were probably gonna win him anyway, but uh, we knew for a fact then once <laughs> once all that happened that they would win it, which is just what makes this the most unique company ever right now, where it's like, you can demand your release and they, all they do is push you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's something else, man. It is really a very weird time, but uh, yeah, I'm so glad this Miss Shane McMahon thing is done. Uh, hopefully never, ever again do I have to see this, uh, but yeah, that, that's it. That's all I really have to say about this match. Um, You know,
0: we got a wife run in on this one because uh, Brittany comes into the room as this match is happening. And the first thing she said to me is why is that old man in this match? The one with the sneakers, I, <laughs> I don't have. to do explain. Interview.
1: How do you explain Shane McMahon to anybody? I've had that same thing with Michelle, with Michelle. She's like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, "That's Vince McMahon's son, Shane McMahon." And she just either asks, "Why is he wearing a jersey?" or "Why is he so sweaty?" <laughs> I'm like, "I don't know," and I don't know. And she's like, "Is he bad?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he's not great." And then he just like goes through things, and he like jumps off the top rope. It's like, what is he doing? Why do we have this Shane McMahon thing? Remember when everybody <laughs> was excited when he came back? Remember that like two or years ago? We're like oh baby, shake yeah. man back, and it's just like oh okay yeah this is the well the, the
0: whole my whole thing my explanation was I was like look he tries hard
1: yeah, he does he, he does, he that, does. Like that is absolutely something hard. you can never ever take away from shake man he tries very very hard
0: and then as he was sweating profusely and turning colors and 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 she's like is he okay is <laughs> no. he <all> right <laughs> he's not. And I'm like I, you know, I was like probably not. I don't know. I'm like he trains in he trains in some martial arts. He's probably fine. I yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm really I'm really embarrassed that you're in the room right now. Yeah, please just leave. Go, <laughs> please, please, yeah, go, just go upstairs and watch something else, and and, and allow me to just you, you know not be humiliated.
1: uh, Yeah. uh, Shame McMahon experience. We've all been through there with Shane McMahon. So it's fine. But yeah, no man has ever worked so hard to get a hug from their father than, than Shane McMahon. So hopefully, hopefully one day he gets that hug, but
0: (laughs) can I give you one more? um, An anecdote from this show. Sure. Um, She, she walks into the room during the Kofi, Daniel Bryan uh, thing where it was coming down how bad WWE speak is until a civilian hears it, right? Because Corey Graves is screaming at the top of his lungs about he, – he said something to the effect of, we're seeing the world change right before our eyes, Cole. The world is changing. And my wife turns to me and goes, wow, Joe, the world is changing right before our <laughs> eyes. I I don't know how, what's big, happening.
1: how big was the hole that you wanted to crawl in when she turned to you and said that? <laughs> she
0: said, She said, I don't know what's happening right now, but the world is changing, Joe. And I'm like, I don't have an explanation for this. It puts a couple bucks on the table that we wouldn't have normally per month. Can you just leave me alone and and let me watch this crap and uh, so I can talk about it on Thursday? But yeah. Yeah, exactly. What hole do you like how deep <laughs> does the hole need to be that you crawl into when normal people are listening to the commentary on one of these shows? It really is absurd, and you don't realize how absurd it is until someone else points it out. Why is he screaming that the world is changing? Why was he saying that, Rich? I don't have an answer. Do you have an answer? No. Is the world really going to change if Kofi Kingston wins this dopey title? I. I it's just completely absurd. But anyway, uh, next match up, we got Finn Balor uh, in a handicap match, winning the Intercontinental title by not pinning a champion, Rich, but by pinning his uh, minion. Uh, Leo Rush. And then we have Bobby Lashley get frustrated and apparently break up with Leo Rush and uh, spear him through the ring or whatever the fuck he did. And then the next night on Raw, they were teaming.
1: (laughs) Nothing matters. um,
0: And not only that, it looked like Bobby Lashley was doing a face turn because you've got the cocky Leo Rush who cost him a title. Right, right. Bobby, Bobby Lashley realizes, you know what? Fuck this guy. I need to choose a different path destroys the dude and then two matches later he's coming out with his heel faction of of, of guys and uh and he's a heel again about an hour later so
1: none of he turned this on, back he's back with him the next night so
0: yes so none of this made
1: sense at all. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because nothing it doesn't matter. It, matter it didn't matter it didn't matter 24 hours later it didn't even matter when you mentioned the Bobby Lashley thing it didn't even matter an hour later so it's just like what do you even say how, how do you react to this if it does not matter they don't care I don't care so
0: Yeah, so um, let's move on. We have Ronda Rousey in a squash, defeating Ruby Riot. This made a lot of people upset. I had zero problem with it. I like Ruby Riot as much as the next guy. She's not a top woman right now. I was going to say top guy. Uh, She's not a top woman right now. I think her time will come. It's all about Ronda Rousey and building the main event at WrestleMania. Rich, did you have any problem with this? Zero,
1: um, okay. Zero problem. I wanted this. I mentioned it in my preview. I wanted this to be what the match was. I don't. I hate when they have Ronda Rousey sell. I hate when it's an eight-minute match and Ronda Rousey has to sell for Sarah Logan or some bullshit like that. Have Ronda Rousey go out there and have her destroy Ruby Riot. Ruby Riot loses nothing by this. Ruby Riot doesn't really matter. Whenever they want to rehab Ruby Riot, if they want to rehab Ruby Riot, it'll be fine and it won't matter. But Rousey is such a dynamo at this point that all you want to do is build her up, build her up, build her up, because what you're going to do is at WrestleMania, you're going to either have a Becky Lynch or a Charlotte, hopefully Becky Lynch, beat her, and the best way to get, just get her ready, and then use all that power and, and and transfer it over to whoever beats her at WrestleMania, hopefully Becky. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you want. This is how pro wrestling should be booked. This is how pro wrestling has been booked for decades and decades and decades. We don't need 50-50. We don't need a bunch of selling. We have seen Ronda Rousey go out there and whoop Ruby Riot's ass and move on. And that's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it should have been. So, I was perfectly fine with it.
0: You can maybe argue put someone else in Riot's spot, but there were a lot of women in that tag match, so there really weren't a lot of other options just laying around. And you don't really want to put one of Riot's minions in there because Riot's the leader of the group and should be the one getting title shots and all that. So, ah, um, eh, it's whatever. Yeah, I, I never problem with it either. And then we had whatever the Baron Corbin Braun Strowman thing was. Uh, oh, you know, this is just total <laughs> trash that you just can't. This is the kind of stuff where it's, it's like, I, what do you want me to say, and Joe, how, how do you want me to analyze it? Joe, there I, is
1: somebody in this world. I, I don't know if they listen to this show. There's somebody in this world that sat down on Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern or whatever, or whatever the hell time it starts, 7 p.m. Eastern, sat down and said, ah, Baron Corbin versus Brad Stroman's coming up. I can't wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I who is that person? I would love to meet, if you are that person, and I know you're going to be like, the thing is, anybody that goes in our mention and says that I am that person, I know they're going to be lying. So I just want to meet them in the flesh. Like, I don't want it to be like, hey, tell us if you're that person, because you're going to be lying. I just want to have, I want to know. I, I mean, I know that there was somebody in this world that was like that. I don't know who it was, but there was somebody who sat down rubbed their hands together and went, ha ha, Baron Corbin, Ron Stroman's coming up. Let's see what happens here. I can't wait. Ooh, no, de- no disqualification. Oh, this should be interesting. And guess what, right. Joe? They told you 24 hours later that this didn't fucking matter because Braun just beat him the next night.
0: Right. <laughs> That's um, First of all, I don't believe you. I don't think there's anyone who was looking
1: <laughs> There has me. to be at least one, right?
0: No, I don't believe you. I don't think there was a, a human walking this earth that was looking forward to this match.
1: Well, they're rubbing I their do. hands together, sitting down, getting their popcorn ready, going, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> Barry Gordon, Braun Strowman. Let's see what Dis- happens here. <laughs> like,
0: this is why I bought the pay-per-view. You know, no, I, I I, still
1: buying pay-per-views. They should really just get WWE network, but yeah, you know, that's
0: I, yeah, well, there's still people doing it. I know that's
1: the best part, even Uh, though they, they spent, they don't do that anymore. Remember when they would ridicule anybody who was giving them more money? You idiots are paying us $50, you fucking morons. It's $10, you idiots. You have JBL going, I can't believe how stupid could people be giving us $50 instead of $10. (laughs)
0: Rich is reading a transcript right now. This isn't even, uh, you know, this is... You know, this
1: is really what they would do. I was just dumbfounded that anybody would rather give them 40 extra dollars than just subscribe to the network. I guess if you have the long play of you subscribe to the network for a while, I get it. I understand it, but it was pretty funny when they did it. They, They don't even bother with those anymore, so it's fine.
0: Yeah. So as a show, I think it was bookended by interesting stuff, and the entire middle was fucking dog shit. I think that's absolute dog shit.
1: Absolute dog shit. Thank God for that main event. Because I was about to say this show sucked. But that main event, and then halfway through the elimination chamber, I already had the column basically ready to go like these guys. This is bad. But then they they recovered it with the Kofi Bryant thing for sure. So
0: Yeah. Which we can now transition into uh, Rich, Uh, Vince McMahon, apparently, and this story changes by the hour, uh, but apparently Vince McMahon uh, told Triple H, he told him, call up your four best wrestlers because Raw needs good wrestling. It needs more good wrestling, is what Vince supposedly said to Triple H. So uh, Triple H called up two of his uh, current champions because the Johnny Gargano match against Velveteen Dream hadn't aired yet. So we ended up getting one of your favorite situations, Rich a champion holding a belt on a live show who had already lost that title uh, uh, the previous month. He lost that title on January 30th, by the way, Johnny Gargano, to uh, to Velveteen Dream, the North American title, which he had around his shoulder on Raw. Uh, so uh, what was that? Something like 19 days later or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> I do love that. That's like, We don't get that much anymore, so I'm glad we, we finally got it back again. So.
0: Right. So they call up uh, Johnny Gargano. They call up the champion Tommaso Ciampa, which isn't unprecedented because Kevin Owens got called up as champion, I believe. So it's not a completely foreign concept to do that. Alistair Black. And then uh, who was the. F- oh, Ricochet, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, Ricochet debuts in the tag team match with Finn Balor. And they defeat Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush. Leo Rush takes the pin. He's kind of in the doghouse. I had just gotten done about a week or so earlier praising Leo Rush for cleaning up his act and uh, and, and not screwing things up for himself. And now reports come out that everybody hates him, which um, – you know uh i don't know not shouldn't surprise anyone no nah, uh,
1: nah, that's been a rep for a while there so i'm, I'm not i'm not shocked by that whatsoever unfortunately <laughs>
0: so he's gotten under everybody's skin people thought that's what the angle on the pay-per-view may have been uh, had something to do with but who knows what happened then he got pinned on raw by the debuting ricochet apparently mm-hmm. Vince mcmahon according to dave Meltzer, was to have ricochet versus finn balor and then triple a AAA- And said, yeah, but we don't want either one of those guys to lose, so we should probably not do that match, Vince. And uh, he won that battle and changed it to the tag match, which we saw, which was a much better idea, I think. Everyone would agree. And uh, I don't know if you saw the match, but Ricochet got plenty of shine. I thought he looked like a million bucks. And I don't think his debut could have come off any better. And uh, beating Leo Rush at this table guy, he's a 205 liver. He's in the doghouse anyway. I had no problem with that. And the match was designed for Ricochet to come in, do a bunch of flippy do's, do what Ricochet does, and look good. And he did.
1: Yeah, I think one of the important things, too, and, and, and they noted, I mean, there was a little bit of time where Lashley and and, and, and Ricochet were in the ring together. Uh, but I think it was a pretty cool idea to have Ricochet in there with Leo Rush because it didn't make him look small. And we know that this company first impressions can a lot of times be, ah, oh, that guy's small, or, you know, from Vince and from fans, too. And it's it's not only that, too. Vince is kind of conditioned fans. I have a buddy who, who will always remark that, oh, my God, these guys are so small. And he said it about Ciampa uh, later when he saw him. Is that ah, oh, he's so small. I, I I don't believe this guy. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? But anyway, they, some people believe that, and and they buy in that, you know, if you're tall, you're strong or whatever. But um, I think it was important, though, to have Ricochet in there with Leo Rush to sort of, that first impression is not, oh, this guy. Is small, that first impression is, oh, this guy does a bunch of really fun shit. And, and I think that is, you know, the optics of it was were, were, were definitely solid. So, so yeah, thumbs up for the Ricochet debut for sure.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a very good debut. Alistair Black, uh, thoughts on his debut? I thought his was just the. Uh, I don't know. I don't have strong thoughts about his debut. <laughs>
1: yeah, it yeah you know the thing is I didn't really have super strong thoughts but I had a buddy who who does not watch NXT that I got text he was saying who's this Aleister Black guy I need to know more about him I really like so it 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 I guess for some fans, it really did sort of work because he was into it. He liked the look. He liked the entrance music. He liked the ring gear. He liked all that sort of stuff. So uh, I, I could see that how that would jump off the page. Like I'm kind of used to Aleister Black. I've been seeing him and, and I'm aware of all the, you know, what it is. And obviously debuting with Elias <laughs> isn't usually the best uh, way to go. So, uh, but it jumped off the page for him at least. So I think that's pretty interesting. That might be a good microcosm for, uh, you know, fans as well. Like maybe we're not that target audience. Aleister Black's going to really, um, work for and i think you know his trajectory on the main roster is probably I, I see it being pretty high where i don't think he needs to necessarily have really great matches i think he can just kind of come out have his cool entrance music do some cool moves and be be good and and again i don't know if he's going to be sort of like a big time in eventer but he is a guy who definitely jumps off the page so i think i i would say it's a positive just because i i think he's got a good look and i think he's got a projectable look uh on the main roster but uh yeah i don't i don't know it uh i didn't really love it but but i had a few buddies that did so
0: I was just neutral on it.
1: Yeah, um, fine.
0: I didn't think it was positive or negative. I, I don't really have a take. I, I think that he absolutely can and should be a star. Here's the problem with Alistair Black. What's Vince McMahon going to think of him? Because I'm not sure. I mean, he's kind of skanky looking. And we know how Vince can be. He kind of has that skinny fat thing going sometimes, like CM Punk had going. He's a lot like CM Punk in a lot of ways. Could you see Vince like taking a look at Tommy fucking end here and associating him with a punk type and a guy that he has to be dragged kicking and screaming into pushing when the fans just won't accept anything else. Otherwise, could you see that playing out?
1: Cause I, can. I could. Yeah, I, I definitely could, but I think there, there are times where Vince enjoys that look a little bit too. So I, to me, I think he's a guy that, that, that I think is going to be out ahead of a few of these other guys. Like when I look at, at the difference of like a champa and an Alistair black, I think he is more, He's more prone to pushing an Alistair Black than he is at Tommaso Ciampa. We'll talk about that here in a sec. Like I think that Black has a little bit more of a, a main roster look that's 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 gonna work for them a little bit more. But I, I see what you mean. The, the skinny fat thing is a thing, but um, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think he, he's got pretty he's got a pretty high ceiling in that, that main roster.
0: Yeah, I mean I think he, he, he definitely projectable star. I just worry about Vince thinking that the guy doesn't look he doesn't look like a television star. I mean, can't you see that? I, I could,
1: but I could see the opposite, too, where he thinks he looks yeah. like a star. You know what I mean? Like, right, I right, know. Right. it depends what side of the bed he wakes up on that day, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I know you really want to dig into this one. So, we've got Gargano and Ciampa. And you really, you threw out what really was just, you're looking for some ha-has. You threw out a tweet that was meant to be a, you're kind of ribbing on the square. You were joking, but there was some truth to it, too. And a lot of people really took it seriously and got mad at you. Um, why on twitter
1: you... <laughs> hold on a minute on twitter people took a joke and got really mad at it
0: why don't you describe <laughs> <Twitter>? <laughs> what your issues were with the debut and then we'll go from there because this is really this is your subtitle. this is
1: my thing yeah so 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 gargano and champa come out uh they're just diy and i made a little bit of a half you know kind of a joke that like hey it's good to see them like they've spent literally a year trying to kill one another you know, literally putting people through tables and and destroying each other and spitting on wedding rings and stomping faces and cutting each other open and doing all this sort of stuff, and they've all put that all behind them to be DIY again. They've come back, then they're just a tag team. And I think it's it's the thing that a lot of people got upset about is like, oh no, there's nuance. You can tell Gargano's looking at Champa kind of weird, and Champa's looking at Gargano kind of weird, and all that. And and I don't disagree that those guys were still trying to kind of play their roles up a little bit. Or Candice LeRae is on Twitter, you know, saying, oh Johnny, don't do it, or oh Johnny, yada 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 yada. But If you just watch this show, if you're a Universe fan, if you're my buddy, just puts on Raw, throws on SmackDown, and that's how he reacts, you would think that these guys are just DIY tag team dudes, right? Like, they're just Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, guys that are a tag team, guys that are in a tag team called DIY. And that's all they were. There was no issues. Uh, I don't think Cole mentioned any issues. I don't think Corey Graves said anything about their any issues. I know Tom Phillips. They were just dudes in a tag team, and they were working together, and they won their match. And that was like, to me, it's just like you've put so much. If you're Triple H, you know, I know at the end of the day, we talk about and we laugh about how NXT is one thing, but it could be, you know, it's it's developmental, but it's also kind of Triple H's vanity thing. You have put so much equity into Gargano and Champa and this battle between these two guys and the breakup and the, the feud and the blood feud and the why am I so violent and oh my God, you know, this guy beat this guy and the emotion of bad Johnny, good Johnny, yada, yada, yada. yada. And it's all just kind of like, it's just kind of moot when they come to the main roster. It's just kind of gone. It's just poof. It just went away. And like you know, warning spoiler, warning spoiler, warning spoiler. Go forward about forty-five seconds and a minute or whatever that these guys are still going to feud in NXT, and, and they break up eventually. And I think that's going to probably be the build to to, to you know uh, take over potentially, but. On the main roster, I have no faith that they're going to do anything. But these guys are just dudes in a tag team. You, you know what I mean? Like, and that annoyed me because, like, why don't you say that these guys have been, you know, on again, off again friends? And oh my god, they're, you know, you never know what's going to be the next. They just did nothing. With they did nothing about the storyline. They were just dudes. They were just Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano dudes. And I was just like, you know, you spent so much time building up that NXT story, so much time doing that, and they're just. Dudes, you know what I mean? Like, I—it just annoys me because it's just like, why? If you're an NXT watcher, and we talked about it, like the the, the Gargano Champa story doesn't work for me that much. I don't really like it. I've kind of hated it. I've kind of eye rolled it. But if you're a big fan of that, and you've watched all that go, and you've seen the progression of it, and the result is just like they're just a team on the main roster. Like, yeah. wouldn't you feel like, why did I just do? Why did I just waste a year watching that shit? I mean, it was every episode of NXT TV for like a year was about these guys feuding, and they just come up, and they're just they're just dudes.
0: And, and the thing about it is on NXT TV, there's 100% that there's nuance and there's Gargano isn't 100% trusting of, of Ciampa. And Ciampa's like the bad devil on one shoulder and Candice is the good devil on the other. Right.
1: They've done an incredible job of telling that story between themselves yes. on NXT, on Correct. social media, on Instagram, on Twitter. They've done an incredible job. Michael Cole didn't do shit about that. Raw, <laughs> there was, man raw doesn't give yeah. a fuck about that
0: no <laughs> like, raw there was none of it they were just and, dudes and, in a team and you, and you made a great point if you're someone who watches raw but doesn't watch nxt you would have no clue what the dynamic is between these two guys other than hey they must be pals because they're a tag team right. which just couldn't be further from the truth <laughs> right. so like you're dead on with that and i can't believe people were arguing with you and taking issue with you Ah oh, well, no, they they always have tension and but yeah, but not on Raw they didn't.
1: Right, in a <laughs> KF sense, like we, we a lot of times, and I think that one of the problems is is when we tweet out a lot of times when we tweet out WWE stuff, we come at it from the the direction of here's the story they're telling us, and here's how they yeah. want you to feel about the story, and this is why this might be the wrong thing and then people bring up to us well you know oh they don't want this guy to lose well no, that, in kayfabe that doesn't fucking matter we're talking about the story they're trying to tell like the story right. they're trying to get across to the, the, we're sitting back and, and watching it like yes we can put one and two together and say oh Gargano and Ciampa we know eventually they're probably going to break up and if you watch this you know read spoilers in NXT or what, whatnot you, you might know what's going to happen later and all that sort of stuff and we know that there's some nuance we know on Instagram that Candice LeRae is saying that she doesn't trust Ciampa or what, all that sort of stuff but if you're just gen pop fan that turns this on the story that is being told to you is that these are just dudes this is johnny gargano and champa and they're dudes in a tag team that's the only story they told you and yeah. that's what we're talking about we're talking about the story that they are presenting to the outside world the story of the people that are watching the show not the people that don't know anything about nxt not the people that sit on twitter and, and, and talk about this stuff the story that they're being told is that these guys are just buddies and they're friends and they're in a tag team so, yeah, yeah, you can say, oh, they're giving each other the side eye or whatever. Oh, I think, I think Gargano can tell, you can tell that like Gargano doesn't feel all that comfortable. They, no, none of that was being addressed oh, to the audience. You, you think
0: you can, because you know the story. <laughs> right. The common raw <laughs> viewer had no clue what was going on because they didn't, yeah, you're, you're, you were dead on. You were hundred percent right. Not the crazy one here. Um, And then they go out there and they have a match with the Revival, which we know these two teams can go out there and have a match of the year contender because we've seen it. They've had some of the best tag team matches of all time against each other. And I'm not afraid to say that. Um, And then they go out and have a condensed version of one of their matches against the Revival, which wasn't impressive at all. Um, You know, it was like a seven-minute, six-minute version of one of their 22-minute matches just rushed. You know what it felt like to me? And I don't know if you remember these. Remember when the original ECW uh, invaded Raw and got matches on Raw, and they were like three minutes long?
1: Yeah, and right, it was right, just
0: right. like these rushed. They felt rushed. You didn't get a sense of what they really were, or what they were supposed to be. I think it was like what? What year was that? Like nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety seven that they did that. 1997 is I
1: think what you're, what you're talking about when they did like Rob Van Dam was on yeah. Raw and they had like you know Taz versus yeah. Rob Van Dam was on yeah. Raw or whatever. And it was like three minutes and it didn't matter or whatever. So.
0: This felt like, it felt like, like, like Raw giving NXT a TV match, but only giving them six minutes and then they had to rush through all their spots and it was a condensed version of what, now, if you, now, look, Vince McMahon called people up because he wanted better wrestling on Raw. That was the word, right? Well, if you want better wrestling on the show and you know these two teams can knock it out of the park, how about giving them 25 minutes and telling them to have the best match possible? You know, you might get all four of them over, which none of them are. I don't. I don't want to. care about the revival and their dopey tag team titles. Nobody cares about the revival. You know why they don't? Because they're losing matches as champ. That's the other issue. I the lost. revival wins the tag team titles. They lost, and then and then they lose. So you're not putting them. up. The revival or the new Cade and Murdoch. That's what they are. Do you remember Cade and Murdoch, quote, tag team champions? And then they'd go out there every week and lose fucking handicap matches to Triple H. Okay, It doesn't matter that they have titles. They're nothing. The revival is nothing. And they're not over. And they're not going to get over if they lose on TV every week. If you want to have better wrestling on your show and maybe get people over, how about putting them out there? Because you know it's a lot rich. If you give them 20 minutes, are they going to have – are they not – they're going to have a four-star match of course. yeah. Okay, those guys are going to have a great match. And to get these two new guys over, you might finally get the Revival over. And for God's sake, the Revival has to win. I mean, and if they go out there and have a great match, it doesn't matter if the new guys lose in that instance because everyone gets over. If you have the six-minute match, yeah, Revival has to lose now. So I understand why Revival lost because you can't have Gorgano and Ciampa go out there and lose a six-minute match because they're dead in the water at that point. But if they go out there and kill it, it doesn't matter who wins, because the only thing anyone will remember is holy shit Raw. So it's like that was all fucked up. You couldn't have fucked up Gargano and Ciampa more unless they were just random guys already in the ring uh, losing a squash match. That's like, the, the, you know, the, the, it was bad. It was all bad. The thing that you talked about where no one understood the dynamic between the two, and we're supposed to pretend it's two different universes, and and then the whole six minute match against the revival where they beat the revival in a match where nobody got over because they simply rushed through a bunch of spots that would have been placed better in a longer match. It was just all of the four guys who debuted in the three matches. That was the one that came off the worst, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I, I would too. Because and I think like I, I said, my you know because when my buddy was texting me about like black and, and, and ricochet and ricochet is a guy that he's seen on the indies a bunch so he remembered him he had seen champa and gargano on the indies i know he's seen him many times before he watched them at, at fucking nxc takeover chicago and and his thing uh, he forgot about it or whatever he, he's pretty good about that but his thing i said well what did you think of champa and gargano he was like i don't know they seem all right and i just was like oh boy <laughs> like that's you know what i mean like his initial thought was just like yeah they're fine and then that's it. if you're a, a gen pop guy that just turned on raw for that one week, I mean, yeah, you'd have the same thing. Like, there's a guy at my work too who, who who just watches Ron just watches SmackDown. And I, you know, he was talking to me about, hey, they brought up those new NXT guys, and he's like, you watch NXT, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, the Gargano Champa. I don't know, they're all right. And like, that's what the, the prevailing thought from everybody I talked to was, yeah, they're all right. Like, yeah, good. And it's yeah. like, oh my god, these are two of the biggest stars. They've been building this company around those guys for two and a half years or two years now. So it's just like, ye. Like, I don't. I, I, yeah, it did not come across great. They're they're definitely gonna have to. uh do a little bit more work with those guys. But my my fear is that they're just dudes in a tag team. You know what I mean? Like that's how they debuted them. And I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. So who knows?
0: And their match had a commercial.
1: Yeah. But
0: apparently these guys are going to work every brand for a while. Uh, Sasha and and Bailey are going to defend the tag team titles on every brand, which I think is a good idea. These guys are going to work every brand for a while before they settle in. I really hope Ricochet ends up on SmackDown. I think he has much better um, potential opponents and and, and better things to do on SmackDown than on Raw. I really don't want anyone ever to end up on Raw. I mean, Raw is just, you know, Raw is what it is. Can I bring up one more thing? I got to go back because I can't believe I forgot to bring this up. Can Sasha Banks wrestle a match without crying? No. Is that is <laughs> the that crying
1: thing is, and again, I get that you're proud of yourself, you're emotional. No,
0: no. Uh, okay. I don't Come get it on. anymore. How many, how many, you've
1: of these done it nine are... times already, right? <laughs>
0: how many of these things are the most special thing you've ever done? I mean, can we fucking stop with the crying already? I mean, take it easy with the crying. It's just so overwrought at this point. Every time Sasha Banks wins a match, she bursts into tears and breaks gay fame. I mean, it's ridiculous. I can't take it anymore. I probably sound like I'm cruel. I probably sound insensitive or whatever, but it's a little crying every time we win a match. I mean, okay, these titles are fake. Okay, you've won a thousand of them by now. We did the NXT thing. We did the Brooklyn thing. We did the first pay per view, first title on the main roster. You won the tag. I mean, really? How many more tears does this woman have left? It's just I. I know it's riches. Dangerously quiet right now. He doesn't want any (laughs) pieces. No,
1: I've I've talked about it before. I've I've talked about how annoying it is. Like wait, I mean, especially when I thought it was annoying. I I would almost give her a break for this one because it is the first quote unquote first of these titles or whatever. And and after so many emotions. Everybody. No, no but, I'm not, but I'm saying also because of the story with her and Bailey and, you know, they, they they had their year-long feud and now they're okay and it's better and they finally reached. I get that one. The problem that I had is when she won her, like, fourth women's title against Charlotte. And I was like, all right, no. Like, you've won this title three times against the same woman already and you're going to lose the next night anyway. Like, ch- chill out on this. This one I could almost, I was going to let her slide a little bit on this one, but it is kind of like a joke now that, like, anytime she wins, she's going to just burst into tears. So, I get it, but I'll, I'll let her slide a little bit on this one. Just a little bit. No
0: more, no more sliding from me. You're a professional wrestler. You've been in the company. How many years has she been in the company now? Okay, yeah,
1: Four or five it's, now at this point, yeah.
0: In the, in the company total, like fucking developmental to now, and it's like no more sliding from me. I cannot take the tears and the crying every time you win a match. I'm waiting for like Aja Kong to give her a spinning back fist in the face every time she's crying after me. I cannot take it anymore. I can't take the crying. Enough. Enough. The first couple times I gave it a pass, I get it. Uh, those were legitimately historical, but whatever. Okay, she's a big fan. I understand, but enough is enough. Rich, you know she's gonna cry again. Like, <laughs> no, I know. I it. know. This is not it. There's gonna be more crying. I can't take it. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm glad I didn't forget. I, I'm glad I thought of that and I didn't forget about it because. Uh, and look, I know I'm gonna get heat for that. I don't care. You know, it's, I, I can't take the crying anymore. It's, it's ridiculous. It's so over the top. I mean, I, 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 I be a pro. I mean, you know, you've won a million titles already. You, you've run out of first things to do now. Okay, enough with the crap. But you know what's coming. You know what's coming again. But uh, those are your NXT call ups, and uh, and and Sasha with uh, you know her. Re- she's probably crying right now. For <laughs> I mean, all she, she's always crying. I just I can't take it anymore. Um, what do you want to bounce to here?
1: Oh man, we got so much here. Let's uh, let's talk about Rev Pro. Uh, I think. Uh... WWE UK, the real WWE UK Rev Pro. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah. So we had the Pac-Will Osprey match. We have the uh, high stakes and a, let, let, let's actually, let's let's cover high stakes. Do you want to start with the main event and work our way back to the show or do you want to kind of start and, and work our way towards uh, the main events? Because we do production on air instead of actually talking about it before. So
0: Yeah, I mean, let's talk about this, uh, this Pac-Will Osprey match. 30-minute draw. At the main event of... Uh, Rev Pro High Stakes, which um, I don't know. I, I saw the whole show. I don't know if you have yet. I'm also entirely caught up on Rev Pro uh, in 2019. I've watched pretty much everything that's hit tape. So I know what's going on in terms of the directions and the booking and whatnot. And the thing about High Stakes is, uh, top to bottom, it just was a bad show. I mean, there's no question about it. I thought that uh, uh, everything on the show felt sloppy, everything on the show felt disjointed um and and the main event i I thought the main event a lot of people didn't like and a lot of people are trashing mostly for the finish i didn't mind i liked the main event and i really didn't mind the finish And i know you're the same and and so i know you mentioned this earlier today that we're probably going to come off a little hot takey we're not really going to bury this main event or the finish. Um, what did you think of this match, and what did you think of the finish?
1: Yeah, so so when we initially, when the match happened, there was a few people that were there live that uh, that, that, that were in our uh, Slack. So, you know, staff members that we have on the website that, that you know, do reviews sure. and whatnot, and they were like, they were like, ah, you guys aren't going to like this match, or, oh, geez. They were very disappointed live, and, and you know, knowing what was coming, I kind of came in at pretty low expectations because they, you know, some people that said, you know, Pac wasn't really giving full effort here. It was an okay match. Nothing really happened, but the finish was atrocious, and you're, you guys are all going to hate it or whatever whatnot not? And I was like, "Oh boy, this is this is something to get ready for." And I watched the next morning after that. They they were the turnaround time for this was incredible. I know RefPro does a great job of doing that, which I think is is so. And I mentioned this a little bit on Twitter as well. In 2019, you you got to get your shit up right away. And they are a lot of these England companies we talk about all the time. They are awesome at doing OTT. Does it too in in, in Ireland and and WXW to a lesser extent does it in, in in Germany as well. Is that when you have a big time match or when you have a big time show, get that shit up right away pounce on the buzz because there was a lot of buzz about this match and then all i saw the next day was people tweeting about it or whatnot whereas if they released this thing today you and i aren't talking about it there's no buzz no one's reviewing it no one's doing anything so i think that's that the, they do a good job of this quick turnaround so anyway i was able to watch it i think like 12 hours or so after well
0: if i'm not mistaken they put the match out for free
1: Oh, Even did they? Oh, the yeah. Party. Okay, so I watched the entire show. All right, I had a file that had the entire show on it, so I didn't know that that was actually. Oh, they did just put this match out. That's that's actually more genius of an idea. So good on them for that. So,
0: if I'm not mistaken, yeah, they put out the pac Willow Spray match before they put out the whole show, and they put it out for free. Oh, that's so, that's
1: very smart again too. So good on them. So was, anyway,
0: it was, it was either that or you could watch the whole show for free with the free trial. It, at any rate, you were able to watch the match for free really fast. That's right, right,
1: team. pretty pretty quickly. I mean, I was able to watch it the next morning or whatever. So that, that that's definitely a, a kudos to them on that. So uh, the match itself uh, ended with a time limit draw, uh, Pac and Will Ospreay, of course. I thought the work in it was... I really liked the work a lot. I thought Pac was all over the place doing cool stuff. Will Ospreay is a guy who can roll out of bed and have basically a four-star match. And and I think I liked the back and forth of this match. I liked a lot of of it. There was the bullshit. There was the shenanigans. We'll talk about that. That's really going to be the thing I think that a lot of people are going to focus on is that you had... You know, your your, your your interferences, you know, you have CCK run in and they start beating people up. But then you have Pac and Will Osprey work together to sort of fend off all invaders or whatnot. It's like, all right, cool. Like, these guys just want to have a match between these two guys and settle whoever's the best. And then you have Pac do a low blow on Will Osprey. The referee, he wants the referee to DQ him. The referee is not going to DQ him. The referee says, no, 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 I'm not going to DQ. I'm not going to let you get the cheap way out of here. So then Pac then sort of goes to the top rope. He's going to hit his, you know, the, 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 the Phoenix splash or whatever. And then the time limit, he knows that like the time limits about to happen. So he sits on the top rope, time limit draw, and he just walks out of the ring. He didn't win the match. He let it go to a time limit draw. And in the crowd, I know that there was a lot of negative reaction. If that, if I was there live, with the expectations that this is going to be an incredible match, I could see how you would come away disappointed. My expectations coming in were, this is a disaster. So you know what I mean? Like where you come in at, if you walked into that building and you paid your hard-earned money or whatever, and you go in thinking, oh my God, it's Pac versus Will Ospreay. I can't wait to see this. And you got that match and that finish. I could see the disappointment. I absolutely can. I came at it with, oh my God, this is an, an... atrocious disaster of a match and a horrible angle and oh my god I hate this and then when it ended up becoming it was like yeah you know that wasn't too bad I actually kind of really enjoyed it so to me though and, and I'm really curious on your thoughts on the finish is I completely bought what they were trying to do there I completely understood what they were trying to do there and I get like it was kind of a fuck finish and I could get how in certain cases you would hate that finish I didn't hate it for Pac The idea of Pac sort of helping out Will Ospreay, fending off the invaders, and then sort of hitting him with a low blow makes sense. It's Pac. He's a fucking bastard. You know what I mean? And then I also buy that Pac was at the top rope. He could have easily won the match, but that was a lot of effort, and the the match was about to end, so fuck it. I don't care. Time limit draw. I don't really give a shit. Give me my belt. Give me my Open the Dream Gate belt. I'm out of here. See you later. Losers later. Bye. I kind of like that. You know what I mean? I like the idea that this guy is just such a fucking bastard that it wasn't even worth it to him that it wasn't even worth the amount of effort to go do his move to pin Will Osprey when he knew that, ah, fuck a time limit draw is coming in a sec. I'm good. Whatever. See you guys later. Picks up his title, walks in the back. He's out. I kind of like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I always would like it in every other context. I don't know that I would always like it if it was different players, but with Pac, I kind of like it. I kind of like that finish a lot. And I was really surprised when I saw the vitriol about it. And my initial thought was like, I really liked that, actually. I remember I tweeted it out. Like, It was the thing where, as I was watching, I was kind of like, ooh, that's a little weird. Then I kind of said, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I said, that's a little weird. And then when I was done with it, I, I, I kind of had about an hour to think about it. I said, you know what? After an hour, I fucking love that finish. I really, really enjoyed that. And I said, the match itself kind of took you on a bunch of roller coasters as well. There were times where it was really good. There was times where it kind of sucked. There was times where it got good again. There was times where it sucked. But all in all, I liked it, and I really liked the finish. I'm curious on your thoughts.
0: Really? Like I, I, I mirror a lot of your thoughts. I thought Pac hitting the low blow and trying to get DQ'd on purpose was actually good. Yeah, right, right. I like that the referee didn't disqualify him. I saw people saying, Well, why wouldn't the referee just disqualify? Because I, I liked that the ref didn't.
1: The ref said, yeah. no, you asshole, you're not going to get the easy way out here. Get in the yeah. goddamn ring and win this match or lose this match. Like, I'm not going to let you get the cheap way out. And Pac, you're a fucking bastard. No. Like, that's totally plausible that the referee would say, no, fuck off, dude. This is a match. You go in there. <laughs> like, I, I, like that. I
0: I think it kind of neuters the credibility of refs when they let wrestlers get away with getting themselves disqualified. And, and it, since this was such a big match, too, I like that the ref told him to fuck off. Yeah. I enjoyed that. So, and I like that Pac's reactions to it, too. Um, and then it goes to the time limit draw. Uh, look, Pac is just not going to do jobs right now. And I think everybody recognizes that. Now, the thing about it to me is it builds naturally to another match. I really didn't mind this. I didn't pay a ticket to see it. I didn't sit through a horrible two-and-a-half-hour show before this match. I get it. This was not a good show. And then you didn't get a finish in your main event. As far as the run-in goes, okay. So Brooks and Gresham, predominantly Brooks, is feuding with Willow Spray. So I get it. Um, You know, so I I understand that. And now we know, now we have the edit information that this was the angle to build towards their WrestleMania weekend, presumably either their main event or maybe Zack Sabre Jr. will have a main event. But it's one of the bigger matches on their show at WrestleMania weekend. It's going to be Pac and Willow Spray against Chris Brooks and Jonathan Gresham. So from that perspective, the run-in doesn't even look as bad now because it's building towards a huge match that they're having in New York in a couple of months. Now, I figured that we were just going to get the Pac Will Ospreay rematch at WrestleMania weekend. That's a, that was my immediate thought when I saw the result of this match, and then when I saw it play out. Uh, they're going with the tag match instead. They did set it up with an angle. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, look, it, it, hopefully there's a really strong Zack Sabre Jr. match on top main event then i can the singles match the rematch uh because naturally look and, and look i get it people well you can't have a finish so why do a rematch well you do the 60 minute draw i mean uh, i think a really good 60 minute draw between Pac and willow spray it would be pretty fucking entertaining if if Pac decides he wants to to work hard that's always the caveat with Pac. you might get him on a night where he just he's gonna be you know yeah, We know how he is sometimes. Um, but anyway, as a total package and the idea that they knew they were building to a tag WrestleMania weekend, I really didn't mind this. I went four and a quarter on it. I was entertained by it, and I thought a lot of the stuff that people didn't like, I thought it, it at least made sense, and I actively liked some of it. So I'm kind of with you on that. Um, how do you feel about the tag match WrestleMania weekend as opposed to doing the single? Um... It's a tricky topic to talk about. Uh, We know why they're not doing the single. We can't talk about it. But from that perspective... Does it are you in? Let me ask you this Are you into the tag match now at WrestleMania
1: weekend? Not really. I because it's you're, you're also like there was that point in the match where we said where, where CCK walked, you know, ran in or whatever. So it made all the sense in the world that the, the, those two guys, you know, Pac and Wasprey, you know, fought fought off CCK and now they're just, you know, they'll face them in this tag match or whatever. The problem for me though is that I feel like a lot of the match is going to get dragged down by the stuff that we always talk about that we hate is like the can these partners coexist, like former yeah. enemies, yeah. now we're on the same team. Like. That I I, I I hate that shit. Like it's just boring and tropey. So that kind of annoys me to an extent. Like I don't I don't love that. So that's sort of the one thing that I say that's like, ah, it's it's just and I'm not a big fan of like I know that's it's kind of a hot take thing to I, I don't really know that I like Gresham all that much and and, and Brooks, you know, is a guy you've once <laughs> scorched earth on many times before, but he kind of sucks. Like not really kinda sucks. <laughs> oh, okay, sucks, okay, right? okay, okay. Let's let, let 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 me reel this in. Okay.
0: okay? I don't hate Brooks. I think Brooks is fine. That's the thing; he's fine. Like I've never seen Chris Brooks blow me away, especially in a singles uh, situation. That's a tag match, right? But like, and Gresham, I think Gresham is fine. But I do think, for me personally, I think. But that could be a style thing, because people talk about these these Gresham matches and how phenomenal they are. Then I watch them, and my reaction, Rich, is always the same. It's that's it. This was this, like the Jay Lethal matches. I just, they were just matches to me. Like I, they were okay. They were well-worked. They didn't move my needle. You know, he had that independent wrestling title and I went back and watched all those matches and it's like people were just ranting and raving about it. And I'm like, okay, they were nice little matches. I don't know. They were a little three and a quarter star matches. I don't know. But it, it could just be a style thing with Gresham. The problem with CCK right now is Chris Brooks is not and can never be a heel. That's a major problem, Brooks. When I say they, the fans in, in, in Europe, they, they don't want to boo the man. He gets token boos at best. They want to cheer him. He's so miscast as a heel. Jonathan Gresham, he's a grapple guy. He's not like this nefarious little fucking weaselly heel. It, it just, to me, they don't, it doesn't work. This unit doesn't work as a heel unit in the role that they have. Chris Brooks, to me, has a lot of Ricky Steamboat in him in that I just don't think he can be a heel. It's like no one ever made Ricky Steamboat a heel Mm -hmm. because just Ricky Steamboat's a fucking babyface. You know, Chris Brooks to me is a baby. He cannot be a heel. It just doesn't work from that. Perspective. And I'm
1: not a body guy either. But you got to be more than like 110 pounds too to be a heel. I just, you know, like I, I it's just, it doesn't quite work. When I mean, just this I real thin, skinny dude. I don't know. I it well, doesn't. Well, it works for Eddie Dennis.
0: I just don't think Chris Brooks can. But be you a have heel. to be
1: an overwhelming character to have that work. And uh, I Brooks, don't think he is.
0: Well, Brooks is a great baby face.
1: Well, I that's mean, what I mean, but like overwhelming heel character to, have, yeah. to look like that and be a heel is what I meant to say.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and, and for the same reasons, I mean, Brooks had that match with Will, Will Ospreay on the uh, what show was that? That was the oh, it was uh, the New Year's resolution show on the 11th. And again, Will Ospreay has four star matches in his sleep and they just he couldn't get to that level with Brooks. Brooks is an OK wrestler who needs to be a smiling mid-card babyface. And right now he's just totally miscast as a heel. I think the other problem with kind of having this fuck finish or a non-finish, whatever you want to call it, is RevPro fans have been tortured with this stuff. Yes. Especially <laughs> recently. Because, okay, so Saber beats... um Hero Erie on the uh, on that New Year's resolution show on the eleventh, right? And and that's it it's a nice little match. It didn't blow anybody's doors off. But his next defense is against Pac. And of course, because Pac is not gonna lose as the Dreamgate champion, he's not gonna lose because he has leverage right now. I think that has a lot to do with it too. So Pac has the fuck finish with Zach Saber Jr. They do the DQ finish. I watched that match as well. That was on cockpit. I think 30, let me look it up. It was 37, cockpit 37. Rich, don't even waste your time with that match. I, I actively did not like that match. Um, it just wasn't a good match even up until... So they've been punished with the last you know, big main event that they had where Sabre defended against Pac. That didn't have a finish. But on that New Year's resolution show, I've matches had bullshit heel shenanigans at the finish. And yeah, that's too And, <laughs> that's too and, and, and now they're, and, and then you're doing it in your main events too. I think maybe people would have been more forgiving with the Pac Osprey match, especially considering they know that neither guy can really job because they're both champions and rival Japanese companies. I think fans may have been more forgiving if they didn't just watch a show, you know, last month that had like you know five fuck finishes on it, and if they didn't just see Zack Sabre Jr. Pac have a fuck finish. So. I think that factors into this too. It's just the overall booking and rev is just, is, is messy way too much bullshit and spots on the card that don't need it. You don't need it on the third match on the card with mid carters. If you're, especially if you're going to do it to people in the main event. So I think it's a perfect storm. People saw a really bad card. And then they saw what they perceived as a bullshit finish in a company that's been spoon-feeding them bullshit finishes for the better part of two months this year now. So I I think it was just a a perfect storm for people there live to be upset with it. And especially if you're in
1: revenue. I was going to say we – yeah, we have a we we had a column. Uh, Neil David, uh, voice of wrestling, did a column, and he was one of the people that was there live and, and 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 sort of reacted to it. And I think the you know his final paragraph sort of wraps it up. And 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 you should definitely go out of your way to read it. It's called "Bowling Alone" is RevPro okay? Where he basically just looks at kind of the history. And says, if you haven't been watching RevPro and haven't been following every single one of the booking <laughs> you know things that they've been doing, it's a, it's a good way to kind of get an idea of it. Uh, and his last paragraph says the talk of Rest Twitter uh, has been how embarrassing the booking is and how disappointing the results are. They can book all the dream names they want, but RevPro is quickly building. A reputation of a company that doesn't deliver. So, and that's yeah. that, like if you're going there live and, and paying your money and thinking okay, cool, I'm going to get Pac versus Will Ospreay, it's fine if one time out of, you know, six months it's a fuck finish or whatever but when every single time it's a fuck finish and every match up and on the card is a fuck finish at some point you're gonna get annoyed at that that is sort of the wcw 2000 thing where it's just like why am i gonna buy into anything if if nothing matters and everything's just gonna kind of be some sort of elaborate plan to get to the next month or whatever and elaborate storylines or whatnot so i get it i'm somebody who i don't watch every single rev pro thing so for me the finish didn't hurt to me i was like ah that's a fun way to do the finish but i'm also not somebody who watched it happen five times on the same show i'm not somebody who who a month earlier went and paid my money and then saw a fuck finish with it with another pock so it's like i get it like i get from the standpoint of when you're there and, and you're paying your money and you're watching every single show how it could be kind of a gut punch and and, and feel like they aren't delivering whereas and, and that's where you know coming at wrestling from different perspectives and different contexts means all the thing in the world because i love that finish i like the match a lot but i could totally see where, where neil and Robin and we had a few other people on on our staff and a few other members of the Brit Wrestling Roundtable and whatnot who were there and said this fucking sucked and I hated this and I don't want to go to refro anymore and I totally get their standpoint too I get how I could like it you could like it and how they could hate it and that that's you know wrestling is all about the context and and what you watch so uh, definitely go on your way to check that out though uh, he did the review as well for our website but uh uh bowling alone is refro okay uh, really good column it's gotten really rave reviews as well from from pretty much everybody in Brit Wrestling uh, Twitter who have all agreed pretty much with Neil's assumptions there that or, or neil sort of point that you know rev pro is is there's a lot of shit going on there and it's 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 getting exhausting for those people all right so we don't do rev
0: pro a lot so this is something uh i think a little different that i think uh the listeners will like so uh let's go through the card let's do it I mean, yeah so uh let's start at the top go ahead let's take take us through it rich
1: all right you got uh, josh bodum versus angelico was your opener what'd you think of this one
0: Okay, so uh, crazy enough, I mean, from a bell-to-bell standpoint, it might have been the second best match on the show, and it really was just a standard opener. Um, I guess you can make an argument for Phantasmo, MJF. We'll get to that, but that was good for different reasons. Bodum and Shaw Samuels are doing this phenomenal heel tag team routine. They always work the openers. They're in the prelims, but I think this has potential. I love the act, and their matches usually have some kind of fuck finish, but it fits the gimmick because they're these two scumbag heels. Josh Bodum is like the opposite of Chris Brooks. He can never be a babyface. Josh Bodum, to me, should always be a heel. You know, he's like, he's like the bizarro world Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks is just likable, and fans love him, and promoters love him, and he's this likable guy, and Josh Bodum is just... Unlikable. He has heel charisma. Promoters can't stand him because he's always getting in trouble. The guy gets booked in all Japan and he's breaking windows and getting thrown off the tour two days in. He's just a disaster. And the only place that really books him anymore is RevPro. They're like the last place that trusts the guy enough, but they don't trust him enough to push him anymore. Like he's firmly in the prelims. He's a guy who just he's kind of a head case, but they really have something here with Sha. And Shaw Samuels is a guy who I've never liked. I am enjoying Shaw Samuels right this second more than I ever have. He's lost a ton of weight. He seems focused. He's doing great work. And this tag team with Josh Bodum, they've got chemistry. On this show, uh, Bodum wrestled Angelico in a singles match. Rich Angelico, if you remember a couple years ago, broke through in Lucha Underground, doing all kinds of wacky dives. Everybody thought he was the next big thing. He has sucked for the last
1: two years. That's I mean, what this I've heard. Guy, I haven't seen much of him. And, and that's like he had, after season one Lucha Underground, I, he didn't have the most buzz. Obviously, that was Pentagon. But I don't think Helico was all that far off in terms of the buzz. He, he really wasn't. And it's like two years later, he's a fucking ghost, man. I don't hear about him. I don't see him. And I'm looking at this list. I'm like, ah, helico. Oh, yeah, there you go. Like, he's back. <laughs> like, you know, I know he's still doing stuff. But, man, the buzz meter is just rock bottom for this guy. When he was, he wasn't number one. But, man, you could really make a case for him being the number two guy after that season one of Lucha Underground. And he has just done nothing.
0: Yeah, and, and, it's, it's, and, he, and it's because he's just not very good. I mean, I don't know if it's a lack of effort or sometimes it feels like a lack of effort. This was like one of his better matches I've seen over the last two years, and this was like firmly a two-and-a-half-star match. Uh, Bodum is a guy who I think has a ton of potential. He's his own worst enemy, as I've already talked about. He's not perfect in the ring, um, but, but, but he's a guy where if he gets his head on straight, I think uh, Bodum is a guy that can do some things. Angelico, I don't know what's going on. He's lost all goodwill with me. I just, every time I see him, he's he's not any good. But Bodum won. Angelico's one of these guys who drifts in and out of Rev Pro, And the Bodum-Samuels thing is sort of a prelim act that's kind of getting pushed for their level of the card right now. So it was a given that Bodum was going to win, and he did, and it was fine.
1: Uh next match we had Team White Wolf, A Kid and Carlos Romo, uh versus the besties in the world, David Vega and Matt Fitch. That is a uh a very unique uh, little combo there, but uh how was Team White Wolf versus the besties? It was sloppy. Oh, really? Uh, Damn. It was yeah. it was
0: sloppy, it was disjointed, um, they didn't work well together. There were like super kicks that were missing by three feet. There were spots that were blown, and, and, and one big spot down the stretch got blown. They seemed like they were on uh, different pages. It was a match that just did not work. And A-Kid is a guy who's getting booked everywhere now based off of that match with uh, Zach Sabre Jr. from last year. The White Wolf guys are getting more and more attention. Besties in the world are from your neck of the woods. You know all about them. Uh, you've probably seen way more of them than I have, although I saw a ton of Matt Fitchett years ago in Texas. Davey Vega too for that matter.
1: Right, right. Oh um, yeah.
0: But um but yeah, I mean, um, you know, it just, just didn't work. And and Davy Vega's a guy who <sighs> I gotta be careful here.
1: Um No go ahead. No, it's fine. We it's probably something that I've said uh while watching. People. I mean he's oh. not that great. He's I mean, not he's good. He's... There you go. It's not he's not good and he looks like shit. <laughs> he's not in shape and he's he kind of stuck.
0: There's <laughs> times where you're like, wow, he's really getting it.
1: He's a great character. But then the bell rings. He's not a great wrestler. He's more, fine.
0: <laughs> he is. He's aggressively fine, and sometimes he's bad. And, and and sometimes I'm like, wow, it's coming together for Davey Vega. That was a hell of a match. And then the next match is something like this, which just doesn't work. Fitchett is 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 fine. I guess. He's better than Vega. I think.
1: But Fitchett it, live, Fitchett has a different experience live. If you ever do see him live, you get a more of appreciation for him. And then when you see how. <laughs> he really carries that. The best way to say is he carries that team. And there are matches where he brings it all together when Vega is just kind of off in his own little world or whatnot. So not that Vega doesn't like focus, but it's just like Fitchett is able to do so many more things in the ring that Vega can't do. So I'm not. I'm not saying it's like a focus thing or whatever with Vega. It's just like athleticism wise, Fitchett's a guy that like is a pro wrestler. David Vega is a guy that kind of like acts like a pro wrestler. You, you know? D- Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: go. What I was gonna say was. Davy Vega is just not athletically gifted.
1: David Vega is if I wrestled. It's like, I'm, you know, I know what to do. Yeah. In my head, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not an athlete. I'm not a wrestler. You, you know, like, it, I, I'm going to max out my value at a certain level. And that's kind of what David Vega is, where Match it, like, gets it and, he, and, and controls the ring.
0: Vega, it feels like, has to try really hard to be average. It's down to. And Fidgett, like you said, is just – he's a better athlete. But Vega's got the character stuff down better than Fitchett does. So they kind of complement each other. And Team White Wolf, I mean, those guys are a little green. I mean, you know, they're not finished products either. And, but they're going to get better going around the world working with different people. And, 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 but this match, unfortunately, just didn't work.
1: All right, uh, move on to uh, the next match here is the Rev Pro Undisputed British Women's title match. It was Zoe Lucas uh, defending her title against Bria Prisley, and uh, Zoe Lucas won. Uh, what'd you think of this one?
0: All right, Zoe Lucas stinks. I mean, <laughs> I saw Zoe. I- I'm just laying it out wh- how it is. I mean, I saw Zoe Lucas. Um, she wrestled the New Year's resolution show against uh, you, uh, who's on excursion. Well, not I don't know if it's excursion, but. Um, she's the, she does the judo gimmick. She's the Joshi wrestler who does a judo gimmick. And they had a short match at the new year's resolution show. And, um, it's just Zoe Lucas, uh, watching these matches back to back and some of the other stuff I've seen from her. She's someone who's constantly, you, you, she's thinking her way through every spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Right. And she's one of those wrestlers and she's just, it's a lot like we kind of talked about with Vega. She's not athletically gifted at all. Everything she does looks like it requires a ton of effort. Um, she's just not very good. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's I think that she's below the level of a lot of the uh, women wrestlers that you see around the UK indie scene. But this is Rev Pros. Uh, this, is their, this is their top gal, Rich. And uh, from what I understand, she's office, so she's not going anywhere. Um, I'm not implying that she's pushing herself or anything like that, but it's just i I just this is her home base, and I just don't think she's very good and B Priestley, I mean she's fine. <laughs> um, I don't know, this just just wasn't a very good match. Um, you know it, it, it and, and Lucas, I don't know, she'll be at WrestleMania weekend. I know she's got a couple matches booked already, so uh you know, uh, more people will get some eyes on her, and um I don't know, she just does nothing for me.
1: All right, well, speaking of a match that I know was no good <laughs> because it has been roundly buried on all corners uh, of the wrestling world, CCK, Chris Brooks, and Jonathan Gresham versus Aussie Open is Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. Joe, this match went 28 minutes and 40 seconds. I have heard not much good about this. I think the inmates on Cage Match, have, they're at like a 3.5. I think on Grapple, it's at like a 2. I've seen zeros. I have not seen this match. I, I started watching it, and then we started recording the show is this as much of a disaster as people are saying? Or is it, is it getting undue hatred? What are your thoughts on CCK versus Aussie Open?
0: There are times and we're where we say, Ah, that match was terrible! That match was so bad! And in reality, Rich, the match is fine. We're all guilty of that, right? Where you see a match, it's fine, but maybe it didn't live up to your expectations, so you say it's bad. Sure. This... Everyone is saying it's bad because it was really bad. This was a bad match. This was legitimately a very bad professional wrestling match that didn't work at all. And it went on for a half hour. Um, the, the opening moments were just, they were trying to get some shit over that wasn't getting over. Then they crowd brawled for some reason. It turned into a walk brawl into the crowd. Yeah,
1: th- this is when they I had got to back turn it into- off. I had to turn it off during the walk and brawl, which is already like 10 or 15 minutes into this match, which did not bode well when I saw that the match is going on another 20 minutes or whatever. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, they got back into the ring and then the fans were actively booing the match at one point. <sighs> That's not good. <laughs> um, this, I mean, it wouldn't stun me if people remember it, if this gets some worst match of the year votes.
1: That bad, huh?
0: Uh, well, that and also because people expected it to be good you know what i mean it's like i think a lot of times you don't want to vote for something with two under-trained people or something that it was expected to be bad or something on a low-level indie show people thought this match was going to be good so not only was it a legitimately bad match but it was a disappointing uh bad match so yeah this is um not a match i recommend anybody sit through don't even sit through this to see how bad it was because if it was twelve minutes, I could tell you to do that. It's twenty eight minutes long, and it just was not good, and none of it got over and um, And it got booed by the live crowd. Wow,
1: yeah, that's something there so
0: Now we talked about CCK a little bit. <laughs> Aussie Open is a team that has grown on me a little. Um, it, it took me a while. I still don't love everything they do, but in my in my progress catch up at the end of last year, they had a bunch of really good matches in progress. And, um, so this was disappointing from it, but Kyle Fletcher is another guy. You want to talk about a guy who's got to add some meat to the bones. I mean, his look is killing him. Um, he's just painfully thin. It's just look in pro wrestling. I I, either, you, you either got to look tough or convey toughness and
1: either or be spectacular or you have to be spectacular. Like I, I don't mind that like a Rey Mysterio jr, you know, in his early days looked like a child because he was just doing incredible shit. And it's fine. Who cares? Right. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, Kyle Fletcher doesn't look tough. He doesn't convey toughness. And he's a good little wrestler, but he doesn't come off spectacular. And I, I, I'm sure he's young. He might be a kid. I don't even know how old he is. But, um, but it, it, and he's overcome that because they have had some good matches. But this totally fucking stopped.
1: Kyle Fletcher apparently is only 20 years old, so. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, he's a kid, so I don't want to bury yeah, him. Yeah,
1: I, I was skinny when I was 22. That, that weight will pack on in a little bit, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, I get it. You know, he's 20 years old, and he's really good, like, mechanically for a 20-year-old wrestler. You know, so I don't want to, like, bury him beneath the earth, but it's like, I, 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 I don't know. This is a topic that's been bugging me lately. You know, it's like we're in this era and I just want my wrestlers to look a little tougher. And this is a worldwide thing, you know, and um, we'll save this conversation for another day. But I just think there's a lot of wrestlers right now who whatever happened to like I don't want to sound old and crusty or anything. But what? But really, whatever happened to like Stan Hansen? Can we have some wrestlers that fucking look like Joe Doring? Can we have more Joe Dorings and less Kyle Fletchers or or less Kato Kiyomiya's? Can Kato Kiyomiya toughen it up a little? Do, am i on am i sounding fucking antiquated? no I, i'm with
1: you man no no you are <laughs> but i am too i i think we we come from a different generation too and it, for a long time we were you know i know that i was sort of the the the, the outlier there you know watching a lot of the 2000s wrestling and and, and liking more of the high flyers and liking that sort of stuff but now it's gotten so much to that side where like i, I i'm totally with you where I, you know i watch indie shows and it's just like all these dudes just look like just here a guy that you're you know next door to and, and there's something to that there's I, the, wrestling needs that wrestling needs the guy that looks like your neighbor wrestling needs the everyday man or whatever but also needs some fucking guys with a, you know big mustache dude to throw some layers it's like we always say fat guys i want fat guys in my wrestling again i'd like a few fat guys in wrestling I want a bam bam Bigelow doing shit out there. I want, you know, as you said, a Stan Hans and you know, guys like that. And and there's not really those. And and those guys that are that way, like, you know, a Silas Young or whatever, but Silas Young bounces around the ring like a cruiserweight. So it's just like, oh shit, all right. Like it doesn't get Yeah, quite but do Sil- that anyway.
0: Silas Young comes across tough. I, yes. here's, the, here's the thing. I don't even have a like, I'm not even asking for a specific look. I just I I, I want more wrestlers to come across tough, whether it's because of their look or the way they work or Whatever. I mean, Nick Gage comes across tough.
1: Right, right. He's not an imposing figure at all. No, he's
0: so. not imposing. He looks like a homeless person, but he comes across tough. And, and, and that's good enough because his promos and, and, and he comes across tough. You know, and it's like, I, I don't know. I just think we need more of that. I'm not saying everybody has to look like Stan Hansen. It's not, you know, so that's not the point I'm trying to make. But give me something to sink my teeth into. Um, it's kind of hard sometimes when I watch a guy like Kyle Fletcher. It, it's, it's a little difficult at times, but, uh, but anyway, what was next here?
1: Uh, next match was the uh, Fantasmo versus MJF match. You talked about, so which is potentially uh, your second favorite match of the entire night. But uh, what'd you think of Fantasmo, uh, El Fantasmo and uh, MJF?
0: Okay. So this had legitimate, genuine, good heat because well, MJF. MJF,
1: I mean, Jesus, that guy can, again, we, we say, well, Osprey can roll out of bed and get a four-star match. MJF can roll out of bed and, and, and get heat in the match as he's building towards it. So he's incredible.
0: Yeah. And it's like, he's, he, he's, Not any kind of super worker. We know that he insists on working that eighties hold base style. We just saw it against Teddy Hart on MLW last week or the week before. And, and I thought it worked much better here, but you know, he's working headlocks with Phantasmo and getting all kinds of genuine heat. And this match, like bell to bell, wasn't anything that's going to knock your socks off, but my God, the crowd was into it and they were into watching him get beat up. And For me, that probably made this the second best match on the show behind the main event. I'd go with the very average Bodum-Angelico match as the third best match on this show because the rest of it was either really bad or really sloppy or just just a nothing match. But yeah, MJF, um, and he got great reviews from everyone pretty much that I've seen uh, for his work here. And Fantasmo's a guy, look, he won their J-Cup thing last year new Japan is going to use this year. So it's going to be a big year for, for El Fantasmo to, to step up and see if he can get to another level.
1: But uh, yeah, J- MJF, if you're not on that bag wagon yet, I don't know what to tell you. And, and like, he's a guy that we talk about variety in wrestling and like, in any other, in, in most other contexts, I would be annoyed at a guy who works headlocks in a match or whatever, and that's kind of their style or whatnot, like a Randy Orton. But I believe when Randy Orton does it, he's just doing it because he doesn't know what else to do, and that's kind of the style that he does. And oh my god, it's methodical, and he's doing it. But MJF does it in a way, and and, and you said like that Teddy Hart match uh, on, on this week's MLW is the exact example of that. Is like. He does it in a way that's perfect, and it gets heat. It's exactly the way to do it, because when he does it, he does it against guys that bounce around the ring and move around and all that sort of stuff, and it annoys the fuck out of people because MJF is taking away their action. And, and it's not that he's doing it because he... It, it's just it works. It works so well, and that's what I mean. Like, it, it, Wrestling is all about context. and like uh, Anybody else there, there's many other wrestlers that wouldn't be able to get away with doing it as well as he does, but I think he, he does a fantastic job of it. And, and he maximizes what he's good at. MGF is not going to go out there and have a four star match with you. So he needs to just be a heat magnet. And he absolutely is. So he does headlocks. He does chin locks. He cheats a little bit, but enough where it to kind of annoys you. He gets, you know, before the, 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 the match, he's on the mic for five minutes to the point where everybody just says, shut the fuck up. We want to see the match or whatnot. He just, he just nails all those, those chords. He, he's just, he's awesome. I love MGF. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, MK McKinnon, uh, Kip Sabian uh, was our next match. Our semi-main, actually, I should say. M- MK McKinnon and uh, Kip Sabian. What was uh, your thoughts on this So, Kip Sabian, also a uh, newly announced AEW guy, correct?
0: Correct. I saw reports he's got a contract. I don't know if that's true, but he 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 does have his foot in the door, at minimum, with AEW. He's a guy with a good look and some charisma, so I get what they see in him. I totally get it. And, and he fits the profile. I talked about it on my solo Portion of the show last week. They're going after people like Jungle Boy and Sunny Kiss and Kip Sabian. Which, if you've listened to the way Tony Khan has talked, they want to get these people before they're overexposed and you know fresh, fresh people who are also ready, who who you know part of their audience uh, hasn't been exposed to yet. This guy fits uh, Kip Sabian fits that description to a T. He wrestled K. McKinnon here. McKinnon won the match. McKinnon is a guy who has a, is the opposite. He has a terrible look. He really needs to work on that. It, it has almost zero charisma. Now, McKinnon I, I, on the New Year's Resolution show, I thought, had the best match yet against the great Okarn. Um, he, he, he really uh, just did... did uh, he, he got over with me in the match against O'Carn on that show. The Okarn matches have ranged from um, abysmal duds to i thought the match with mckinnon was legitimately like a three three and a quarter star match i think okarn is finding his footing in the gimmick i think mckinnon was uh did a great job as his foil in that match on the uh on january 11th and i think that lord gideon gray is evolving into one of the better managers in all of wrestling as okarn's manager he just works his ass off the pre-match promo deal that he does is outstanding okarn didn't work this show uh, uh, I think they were building towards a match with Okarn for high stakes. That for whatever reason it wasn't able to happen. But at, at any rate, McKinnon I thought gave Okarn his best match yet, and I've seen probably you know uh, half a dozen of Okarn's RevPro matches at this point. And um, but but McKinnon didn't do much for me here. I thought uh, Sabian uh, looked the part of someone who's got some potential, and McKinnon is one of these RevPro guys. I can name others. There's Dan McGee. There's Curtis Chapman. Um, they have a bunch of these guys who were just to me still low level at this point and developmental sort of guys. And, and that's, that's what McKinnon is to me. But, uh, and this did go on second to last, but it really wasn't the semi-main event. Yeah, I mean, right, right, right. It's just one of those deals where yeah, card order and all those sorts of things, but this show really didn't have a really strong semi-main event. I mean, you didn't have Willow Spray. I, I'm sorry. You didn't have Zack Sabre Jr. You didn't have any of the new Japan guys. Um, so, you know, I guess the, if I'm looking at this card, I would say that CCK Aussie Open was probably the match that people were, ex- you know, I, second to most excited about to the main events, but it didn't really have a strong semi. But this definitely was not. Uh, just because it went on second to last, people shouldn't get that twisted. But anyway, that was the uh, Rev Pro High Stakes, which was a, a, I can say flat out, it was a bad show. Even though I liked the main event, it was yeah. it was a bad show. Uh, real quick, they really, really- got to stop it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say they—they just have to stop in this company. They just way too much with the fuck finishes and the heel shenanigans. Up and down. Pump the brakes on that and start giving people some clean
1: finishes, and. Yeah, make people know that when they go to the show, they're going to get, I mean, yeah, you can have, if it, but you got to do it sparingly. It works that much better. It's not going to, people are just going to get desensitized to it if it just happens over and over and over in every single match or whatnot. But uh, one thing I was going to say about Sabian and and Jungle Boy and all that stuff with AEW Uh, And and we'll talk about this many times, you know, as as we kind of build up to AEW, but like they need guys on the undercard too. They need their, their ditch diggers and their guys on the come up and whatnot. And I think it's kind of funny that when they sign those guys is that the reaction from, you know, people are like, oh, these guys aren't stars. And it's like, but you've been saying that they need, like, they can't just all have all stars. Like they need guys on the undercard. They need lower car guys. Somebody needs to lose. So it's, it's like, yes, of course they're not going to sign all stars. There's going to be some of these guys. And I think it's smart to have them be you know these sort of under the radar guys and i know that that con was there at, at that ref pro show i know there were people that took pictures with him. so obviously sabian did something on that night you know and and it's probably not the only night i think people have said that they've maybe seen him before but didn't know that that was tony Khan because he's the most unassuming looking person he just looks like aaron tom so it's just like you know what i mean like you don't yeah. know that that's oh god that's a millionaire that you know owns a you know now he owns a wrestling company or whatnot so people are like oh yeah that's tony Khan. yeah he's always been to those shows but uh you know he was there and obviously he's scouting and and he's trying to get those next level guys, those guys that are on the come up, as you said. And, and, and that's going to be smart. I think that's, you know, we see from a talent acquisition standpoint, most of the people they've signed so far have been, you know, pretty, you know, decent thumbs up. But even if they're not, it's like, You could see that the purpose of a jungle boy or whatnot, and and the reason why they're signing that sort of guys, but they're going to need undercard guys too uh, on this roster. So uh, it's just unique because we've never been in a situation where a company is sort of built from the ground up. So it's it it, it, it's weird to see them signing guys that don't jump off the page at you, and you're looking like, "What the hell, Kip Sabian? Who gives a shit about Kip Sabian?" But it's like the idea is that no, you don't give a shit about him right now, but hopefully, you know, down the line, you do. So I just find it funny that people are like, "That guy's not a star. Who's that guy?" (laughs) It's like, well, they need somebody that's not a star, you know can't all be the same six guys wrestling each other every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So that is... uh, Oh, quickly, let's talk about Pac because Pac doesn't job ever. Pac hasn't lost a single match. If we go back, uh, Joe, I'm going to lead you through uh, Pac's singles matches since he's left uh, WWE. Uh, He faced Flamita, in uh, Dragon Gate at the Gate of Destiny in November, he won that match. I uh, faced Mike Bailey in November as well in a Rev Pro. Pac is back. He won that match. Uh, opened the Dream Gate. He defeated Masato Yoshino uh, to win the Dream Gate. That was in December. Uh, in uh, he faced Tiger Ali. Do you know it was that Tiger Ali Singh that he faced, or is there another Tiger Ali? I hope it's Tiger Ali Singh. This is in uh, what was the name of the company Four FW. Do you watch Four FW? This is not Tiger Ali Singh. Never mind. No, He's twenty six years old. Sorry.
0: Yeah, this is a young European wrestler. It's uh, not, okay.
1: Well, he, yeah. shouldn't, he shouldn't call himself Tiger Ali then, because it's just—it's very confusing for people like me. But anyway, uh, he won that match, of course. Uh, Defiant, January fifth, Pac defeats David Starr. Uh, January sixth, Pro. Pac defeats Re- uh, Zach Saber Jr. by DQ. That was also in Rev Pro, as I said. Uh, in February, February tenth, Pac defeats KZ. We talked about that. Open the Truth Gate. Then we get to High Stakes Pac versus Will Ospreay. It is a time limit draw. And then a few days later, he's an OTT for OTC Homecoming two. And he defeats Walter by DQ. So Pac, he ain't losing much. Are you fine with that? And Are
0: you okay he hasn't with that? dropped. He, he fall in Dragon Gate even in a tag, and he also had two multi man matches that you know on that courage. Uh, remember, they booked him in that four way match that Tucker won. Uh, remember the other guy. He was a now uh, there was another small show um, in Europe. Where he was in a three way. So he's been in multi man matches too, where he wasn't involved in the fall. So he has yet to do anything resembling a job since he left WWE. Now, I think some of that is that he's Dreamgate champion, and I think some of it is Pac is just fucking doing Pac and doing business his way, and he knows he's in demand. And uh, uh, to, your, to your guy, you don't have to do that. If you want him on your show, you can do things his way, idol, to uh, sort of shield him, and he could always fall back on that as well. And um, yeah, so it's a try- draw, fans. And uh, but you see, like, I haven't seen the Ott show yet. I'm going to watch it uh, with Walter. He got to find a way to to book some kind of fucking shitty finish. And it is a barrier, and we'll see quickly, you know, if he loses the Dreamgate at some point, um, you know, if things be interesting because he's going to have a bunch of matches. Um, his lone singles match to this point is a on, on the, uh, on, uh, what's that? Sammy Callahan's show. What does he call his promotion? Uh, Revolver, right? Yeah,
1: uh, Revolver, the Pancakes and pile drivers. yeah. So
0: um, I don't, he's not going to lose that match. <laughs> no, um, i kidding. You know, he's going to beat Rich Swan on that show. So, uh, and then he's in a bunch of tags uh, to this point. So, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, this again, you know, we talk about wrestler leverage and he's got a lot of leverage right now. And, you know, it's, it's, he doesn't have to do jobs and he's been very careful um, where he works and and who he works with and what the finishes are. And, and, you know, I can't really say that I blame him at this point. Um, It's only has helped him. Uh, you know, retain a, a certain aura, and obviously AEW has been interested, and he'll be working a huge match with them against Adam Page. And we'll see. Uh, do you get the sense that if he does land permanently in a place like, because I think if Dragon Gate asked him to do jobs, he would, he the hell out of Dragon Gate, and he sees that as his home, and I don't think he's going to give them any grief when it comes time to drop that title. I think Dragon Gate is just giving him the old fashioned mega push. So I don't read into anything that's happening in Dragon Gate. I think that's all just they know they have them for whatever amount of time they have them. and they're push like we always say to do, Rich.
1: Yeah, You got him Gate. for six months. Push him for six months. Good, perfect. <laughs> like...
0: Yeah, and I don't know how long they have them for, but I, they're just they got it. Okay, great. This guy's a star. Let's fucking push him. But. I don't think, do you get the sense if he does end up in AEW that he's going to be a hard guy to deal with? Or do you think that he's just a hard guy to deal with on the NBC?
1: Um, and I don't even know if it's necessarily a hard guy to deal with. I think he's just the guy that values himself and understands his value in the, in, in, in the wrestling world right now. And it's like, Hey, if you're going to book me for the show, like I'm a pretty big star and, and I, I don't want to lose like, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like if, if it becomes a problem, he'll just stop getting booked. You know, you know what I mean? Like, if people don't yeah. think that it's worth that calculus, this is, this is old school wrestling one-on-one too. If they don't think it's worth it to have this guy come and say, ah, yeah, no, I'm not doing that brother. I'm not going to do that job or whatever. Eventually they'll just stop booking him. They'll realize it's not worth the trouble to get him. But as long as he's worth the trouble, he gets to call his own shots. And it's like, you know, at, at some respect, I, I I I I like that. I like that workers have that power. I like that wrestlers have that leverage. At the same time, if I was a booker, it'd be a little annoying to know that you can't have this guy lose. But I see Pac's idea right now is like, hey, look, I'm still fresh out of here. Like I'm still in my first few months on the indies here. No, I'm not losing. And 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 no, I have you know Dragon Gate's biggest title, and that's something that you know is is a big deal to me. And and no, I don't really want to lose while I'm holding this title. If I if I'm coming out with this title, and you're going to say that I'm the Dreamgate champion. I, no, I don't want to lose to, to to Tiger Ali or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I get it. I absolutely get it. And it, it, you know, as I said, if it becomes a problem, you'll start seeing his bookings dwindle, and you'll start seeing him only be in certain places or whatnot. But, but I fully believe that if he's in Dragon Gate full time, or if he's in AEW full time, which, which we know, like wherever he goes and wherever his landing spot is going to be, he's going to be fine. I mean, I, I think he's not a guy that you are going to have trouble working with. I think right now he's just feeling himself, and he should. You know, defiant. you you call it Pac, and you want Pac in the in your show? Cool, I am winning. You know. And if the fine doesn't like it, they don't have to book them, but they book them, you know, ref broke and say, no, dude, you're, you're hard to work with. We're not booking you anymore, but obviously they find it worth the trade-off right now uh, to do. So I don't really have any issue with that. I wish more wrestlers would kind of stand up a little bit. I don't want everybody standing up. And I think there obviously has to be some people uh, that want to do those, those jobs here and there. But uh, Pac standing up in the first few months of his indie run, I, I, I have no issues with that. It's, it's,
0: it all goes back to leverage. I mean, I think Dave Meltzer mentioned something about you're going to see a lot of matches with non-finishes because you're going to see guys wrestling each other who are part of different camps. Yeah. And they can't do jobs to each other. No one's going to be willing to lay down. Um, and, and, and we're seeing that play out uh, with someone like Pac. And it's like we've seen wrestlers try this over the last 15, 20 years, and it backfires because there's no leverage. You know, low-key tells Gabe Sapolsky, I'm not doing jobs. So Gabe Sapolsky says, all right, well, I got 15 other guys. I can yeah,
1: see ya. Bye. So <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't need this. You know, low-key tells all Japan that he doesn't want to – and all Japan's like, well, th- who cares? Go away. You know, and it, it's like, I don't want to just pick out low-key because there's other examples as well of guys who called to work with. Just don't get booked. But, you know, it, it, it's like now you're going to – I think – this is just the beginning, and I think Dave is right. I think when you see guys facing off, with like we just saw, we're going to see more situations where a New Japan champion is facing a Dragon Gate champion and a third-party company, and just neither at the moment. And Will Ospreay is a guy where if he wasn't never openweight champion, Rich, he would have lost that
1: match. Oh, he I loses mean, that all guy, Yeah, he doesn't give a shit, man. That guy will lose to...
0: Yeah. I you mean,
1: cut that check. He'll lose to you. If, you. if you booked Will Ospreay for a show in your backyard with you and your wife watching, he'd lose to you. If you said, Hey, Osprey, I'm winning, he goes, ah, All right, whatever. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He doesn't give a shit. He, he
0: kind of revels in it. Yeah. I think he likes people over and telling that story. You know, he told a four year story with Marty Skrull of, of, of he just couldn't fucking beat the guy. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll see more situations like this uh, as we move forward. As as you know, wrestling split sort of promotions banding together and forming these alliances. And then you face a guy from the other Alliance and you know, it's a standoff and, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate though. And I think it's something some newer fans might have to get used to. And even fans like us who have maybe seen sort of this behavior where guys, you know, don't want to lose, uh, years ago, it's something we have to get used to again, because I think it's going to happen. Um, you know, uh, more often now moving forward too. And it, it's like when Japan was really strong and there was a bunch of promotions, uh, you know, that were, that were doing well. I mean, we would see it in Japan in the past too, where guys would just two stars in there and have a nine finish. And then when the leverage changes and one promotion is much stronger than the other, you kind of have to make concessions. If you're the, you know, high man always wins, you know, and, and you're going to, your, your your guy's gonna win a match if the other promotion is not in a position of power. But right now we're seeing guys get in the ring where they're of equal power, and it it, it it's a weird deal. But it th- there is clearly a trend here with Pac where he's just he's just not having it, man. He hasn't dropped a fall in any scenario since he's gotten back on the scene. Yeah,
1: yeah it reminds me. Uh, one one of the famous shows that I always remember is that uh, Super Clash was Super Clash three. I think we're like nobody wanted to lose. Like so every match was just a DQ, a count out, a a roll up, a every like nobody cuz I forget who was all involved in in Super Clash. No it was AWA, I want to say, what was it? World Class was involved in that too. I forget who else was w- w- was in it, but like nobody wanted to lose. So it's just an entire show of just disastrous finishes. And hopefully we don't get to that point where it's like you can't have a show because nobody wants to lose to anybody and I don't think we're going to get to that point. But again, it's a situation where and we've been talking about it for a while. The, the the days of buddy buddy ah who cares yeah whatever pal that's over. And like if you are in a different camp, like you're in a different camp, and 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 the New Japan camp, and the AEW camp, and the Ring of Honor camp, and 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 whatever, and and maybe you're a WWE Network affiliated camp, like all those are different, and and they're all going to be these situations where if you want to book these matches, it, the finish might have to be a double DQ or a count out or, or or something because nobody really wants to relent on that, and and it might not even be that like. The thing is, it might not always be like the guy either. It might not be Pac saying, No, I'm not going to take that fall, but it might be, Hey, look, you know, I don't know if they're going to get mad or whatnot. Like, so, so, you know, we, we saw that many, many years ago with, um, I know you remember this. We talked about it on the show where what was it? Michael Elgin was, I think, the Ring of Honor champion at that time, and he was in PWG doing like some. I think it was some Bola or something like that. And he just like lost in the first round of Bola, and they were like, eh, whatever." And Ring of Honor like lost their minds, and we kind of laughed about it, like, "Ah, what the hell?" Like, but that's kind of how old school wrestling used to be. Is like, no, dude, if you're a champion, if we're pushing you, don't go to another company and lose. Like that, 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 that looks bad. And and. We might start seeing that again, especially now that everybody's competing and everyone, you know, you know the, the, the friendships are over. And now everyone's kind of gotten into their camps and these camps are warring with each other that that those days of like, ah, whatever, who cares, is it, it, kind of over. Guys want to protect their guys. And, and I get that. So it might even be company oversight, too. It might not be Pac rolling in and saying, hey, brother, I'm not losing a single match. It might be Dragon Gate says, hey, if you're booking Pac and he's our champion, he can't lose. And they go, okay, whatever. Like, we, we don't know that it's these guys yeah. waltzing in all puffy chests and saying, hey, I'm not losing that match. Like, we don't know. It could just be company oversight, too.
0: Well, yeah, and that Elgin thing, that resulted in heat between Elgin and ROH that exists to this day.
1: Yeah, right. He's still not there because of that.
0: And and you go back a few years earlier to when John Walters was the uh, pure champion, and he did a TV job for WWE, and Gabe fired him and never brought him back, and it effectively ended his career. One rule was, if you're a champion, don't do a job on TV. You can do it. If you're not a champion, I don't care what you do. And if you are a champion, you can do whatever you want off camera, but just don't. And, and he broke that rule. He went through a taping. He did a job on TV. He got fired and never came back. And I like that kind of stuff. I I, I, I honestly think that those are good things, you know, and, and, and to help people suspend disbelief and, and hold that stuff up. And I talked about Japan. I mean, you look, you know. Um, there were times in all Japan where Baba could almost never book a fucking finish because nobody wanted to do a job. With yeah, her. like an
1: entire decade. Like, you, you know, we always laugh about that where people are like, ah, yeah, you know, the cicado and all these DQs. Go watch all Japan until what? Like 1991? every main event is just a double count out because like Hanson's not going to take a fall. Steve Williams ain't taking no damn falls. Like Brody's not taking a fall. Brody's not taking a fall. Like half that card was like, fuck no, I'm not losing. So these guys were just brawling the crowd and they just count them out. And it was like, all right, go home. Like, that's it. That's the end of the match.
0: Yeah, as the the Brody Abdullah era, like those guys just weren't going to lose, and if you told them they were losing, they would just say no. I'll go work for New Japan. You know, they had options,
1: <laughs> right? Right. Because
0: it was leverage. It's what we're talking about. When you have leverage, you can, you know, and it's like, and 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 that didn't change until sort of the gaijins changed over, and then you know All Japan became the opposite. It became a promotion that never didn't have a finish because they just had guys that were more willing to do business um for the greater good uh when your and your steve williams and your guys like that came into the fall and your Gordies, and then you know like you said around the early 90s it all shifted and then it became a promotion that was nothing but fit. but before yeah, those guys, you know, they they, they they were in business for themselves. And that's just you, you, sometimes you couldn't book finishes. And there were so many all Japan main events that just didn't have fucking finishes. It got to the point where people expected the matches not to have finishes. So, uh, you know, maybe we're seeing the early stages of, of sort of going back to that sort of thing again, which is going to be a big change. For a lot of fans, if that is the case, especially if AEW is using guys that are like non-contracted, like if they don't have Pac under contract, maybe he won't lose the Hangman Page. Maybe they have to do a double count out. People will lose their minds, Rich, if Hangman Page and Pac do like a double count out or
1: something. Right, right.
0: And and the proof is we're seeing people lose their minds with, with what Pac is doing in Europe. So it's going to be the same thing, but it might be something that we all have to adjust to if it's, look, if we're going to use these wrestlers, some of them just might not do business right now, unless we have them under contract, unless they have that security of, hey, you've got me, sign me to a five-year contract and, you know, let's go from there. Then I don't have to worry about protecting myself, you know, you can, at that point, I might do some jobs because I know you're giving me whatever X amount of money over the next half decade so we could be seeing the ushering in of us of a different kind of era here now as as things change and shift
1: yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating because yeah the super indie days are done and now like your your booking fee and all that sort of stuff is gonna be dependent on how good of a star you are and how big of a draw and all and, and it's very different because like yeah the super indies was just like hey go out there and have great matches who cares who wins or loses just have great matches and, and and I think we're not like not gonna see great matches ever again like great matches are gonna happen again but these stars the individual stars have so much more power now a now, I mean, if, if Pac was a free agent four or five years ago, or, or or even, hell, two or three years ago, he doesn't have the same amount of leverage, because you got your Chris Heros, you got your Ricochets, you got your Garganos, you got your Champas, you got all, all these guys in the system, Pac's now, like, he's the fucking man in this, you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you were gonna, I mean, there is no, there's few people on Pac's level right now that are available, so it's kind of a byproduct of, of, of all these signings and all these big companies signing everybody up and gobbling everybody up is that now the individual leverage for these guys is so much more. And it's like, Hey, if you want to book a star, all right, well, you're going to play by my rules a little bit here. And, and, and you know, there, there's a, there's a good and a bad to that. We'll, we'll, we've seen some of the bad Um, and, and we'll, I think we'll so some of the good too. So it'll, it'll be, it'll be an adjustment period for sure. Uh, as you're saying, it'll definitely be very different. But uh so we had about 15 minutes here. I, I want to, quickly get into uh two shows that we uh we saw the main events of uh, that we wanted to talk about really quick the giant baba tribute show february 19th uh, the show happened this was from sumo hall 8,800 people showed up for the show um it was a giant baba tribute it was also the abdul the butcher retirement memorial uh you and i have not seen the entire card but we did watch the main event or i think you saw a pretty decent amount right didn't you see a few matches here and there
0: I've seen the entire card.
1: Oh, you did see the entire card. Okay. Overall thoughts on the uh, the undercard before we get to the main. I've only seen the main event, so I don't want to. I, I can't speak on anything else. But uh, what did you think of, yeah, it of was, the rest uh, of the show?
0: Look, it was a tribute slash retirement show. So you get a lot of old guys. You get a lot of nostalgia. You get a lot of the modern guys working at sixty percent effort, and and you get the novelty of seeing people from other companies um nothing on the show blew me away uh some of it was outright bad um but look when you got 70 year old men in there i mean you know it, it's it's you give it a pass you know what i mean i'm not going to sit here and beat up on uh fuji and fujiwara because uh you know they couldn't <laughs> okay. hang with uh, it, it, it's like who cares um you know but the, the the stuff that stood out to me and we'll talk about the main event in detail is they seem to be building towards was a Satoshi Kojima singles match. Um, look, they were pushing, in, they, they, they were paired up in the six man tag. It was Akiyama and Omori, your boy Omori, along with uh, Taio Kia, who uh, returned for this. And they took on Osama Nishimura, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata. Um, the, the Akiyama side won. He was paired off with Kojima for the most of the match. And then they had a shoving, a shoving match after the bell, after the match was over. And Kojima wouldn't shake his hand and he stormed out. And okay, but promos on each other. So, Rich, we might get a Junakiyama Satoshi Kojima. Oh, I'm all
1: player. in for that. That sounds fucking great. In for that.
0: Yeah. So that was one thing. But the two guys who I thought had the best chemistry on the show, if you're talking about cross promotion stuff, and the match that I thought was the best match on the show was uh, Jinsei Shinzaki and Marafuji. Uh, they beat Masaki Mochizuki and his uh, protege, Shun Skywalker. Oh, I want to
1: see that. I'm glad this match delivered. I cannot. When I saw that match listed, I went, ooh, <laughs> I hope that's good, man. Because that's a lot of dudes I love. Like all four of those guys I fucking adore. So I'm glad it, I, I'm glad it delivered.
0: Rich, the Marafuji Mochizuki stuff is fucking fire. Yes, I all mean, right. yes. The chemistry between those two, I came out of this badly wanting to see a singles match that we're not going to get between those two guys. And Shun Skywalker. OK, it was obvious what was going to happen here with, the, with you know, the fall and all that. But he really worked his ass off. And once again, looks like a guy who's going to be a breakout guy. There were two wrestlers on this show who came to work and came to impress people. One of them was Shun Skywalker. And the other was my boy, Ayato Yoshida. Ayato Yoshida came was just on fire and he was showing the kind of fire and energy and passion that I'm wanting to see from Keito Kiyomiya as GHC champion right now that's what I saw out of Yoshida and he just busted his ass that was a three-way match with Yoshida and Umino uh you know the jobber team from New Japan and then uh it was from All Japan Jake Lee and Koji Iwamoto and the third team and obviously the winner. There's were Bushi and Sonata. LIJ was not losing this match uh, to this collection of guys. Um, but the big talk coming out of this, aside from Yoshida busting his ass, was rich. Bushi and Shinada just looked like they did not want to be there. Um, I don't think they <laughs> took a bump. I don't think they took a bump the entire match. Um, Yoshida and Omino did all the work in there with the All Japan team. Uh, Jake Lee did not come off like anything special, which was disappointing because all Japan really needs Jake Lee to happen, and I don't think Jake Lee is going to happen. I'm losing the no.
1: Oh. Oh, I'm man. losing
0: faith. I'm losing faith in Jake Lee. Um, I thought Ayato Yoshida looked like the future star here, not Jake Lee. And Jake, poor Jake Lee, when Bushi and Sonata decided to get involved because it was time for the hit to finish, okay, he got put in that dopey fucking paradise lock. And he had to sit in it for like 90 seconds. Oh, no. Like an eternity- which, Yeah,
1: which probably felt like like two hours. Yeah, yeah 90 well, seconds in the paradise lock is... is- uh, 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 um, yeah.
0: Oh, while, they, while they proceeded to go through the finish and beat Iwamoto, Jake Lee had to sit there and. Uh, beat oh,
1: me. what a geek! Oh my
0: god. And he looked like the biggest fucking geek. It uh. was, you know, so just a, a. Well, I don't even think they pinned Iwamoto. They might have pinned Umino. I'm not even sure. But the point is, the Lij team won, and Jake Lee looked like an absolute geek. And that that was my takeaway there. Um, yeah, and the rest of it was just you know those. Ca- I, mean, I was going to say,
1: I'm, I'm reading this. This match didn't actually happen. This is actually a, a copy and paste there, right? It wasn't Dos Caras and which versus Kaz Hayashi and Sawa out of the question, right?
0: Rich, not only did it happen, they didn't look that bad. Relatively, really? Are you kidding? No, 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 no. Look, they didn't look bad for guys pushing 80. Let
1: right. Okay, okay, okay.
0: I, I mean, it was an absolute farce that, you know, these 40-year-old <laughs> men were selling for these guys. But they didn't look bad for guys that for guys pushing 80. I mean, they were doing fucking high cross bodies and fucking arm drags. And it really wasn't the embarrassment that it could have been. Uh, there were worse guys on the show than them. I think, um, you know, when you're taking age into consideration, um, but yeah, so the undercard, I mean, if you've seen one of these shows, you've seen them all.
1: Yeah, they always look better uh, on paper than they really are. Like you look at the yeah. names, and you're like, holy shit, oh my god, oh, that's incredible. That's why, that's why I was kind of worried about the that Shinsuke Mara and, and and Mochizuki Shin Skywalker, because that's one that's like I see these all the time on these shows, and I'm like, oh dude, oh my god, that's gonna be incredible. And then the guys just go out there, don't really give a shit. They don't really care, but I'm so glad to hear that they delivered on that one. I cannot wait to watch that now.
0: Yeah, I really like that. That was my favorite show in the match, counting the main event, which was which was fun. Um, but I've talked a lot, so you can take the main event first.
1: Go yeah, ahead. let's talk about the main event. So it's SK Sakamoto and Kento Miyahara versus Tanahashi and Yoshi Tatsu. So kind of a cross promotion there a little bit. You got Sakamoto, who's kind of your freelancer, kind of all over the place. Kento Miyahara, of course, uh, the representative of All Japan. Uh, Rish Tanahashi, of course, New Japan, and then Yoshi Tatsu, who was with New Japan and now with All Japan. So a nice little relation uh, there. Uh, Kento Miyahara came out like the star, and they really presented him as the star. If I remember correctly, he had the actual like triple crown, the old school triple crown title. Around his waist or whatnot, and they they built him up as like the mega star of this, and it makes sense. The giant Boba Memorial Show, it's obviously supposed to be slanted a little bit more towards all Japan, so uh, it made sense that he came out there as that ace. Um, the match itself, like I've seen a lot of people say that this was like incredible. It was really awesome. I don't know that I was like blown away by it, but I thought it was very, very fun. There was really a lot of points that I really liked. Uh, every interaction between Tanahashi and Mirahara I thought was pretty good. Uh, pretty much every interaction with Sakamoto and, and Tanahashi was pretty good as well. Uh, Yoshi Tatsu was there as well. <laughs> he was he looked great on the the corner, but uh, no, I think like I, I I don't know. It didn't it didn't hit me on that level that it did for a few other people, but I did enjoy. Uh, a lot of it and there was there was a, a fair bit of like kind of comedy and fun spots or whatever but i enjoyed that because it's like you said it's one of these shows that you don't expect you expect a little bit of a uh, uh, you know sort of a fun factor in there a little bit because you had like you know they're playing around with uh, you know tanahashi's air guitar and sakamoto had it and then he tossed it to to tatsu and then he tossed it to kentomi like you know i mean it was kind of fun in that respect you had tanahashi try to flex to sakamoto uh which did not work out very well because sakamoto just fucking lariated his head off because you did not flex at daisuke sakamoto or he will kill you. But uh, yeah, there was some good stuff in there, but I don't know that I was really blown away by it. I think a good little match, but nothing that I sh- I would say you have to, like, for match to your purposes, go out of your way and see. But I would definitely check it out if you got, you know, there's worse ways to spend 25 minutes, but I, I wasn't blown away like some other people were.
0: I thought stuff was fucking phenomenal. Like him taunting Sakamoto with the flexing and stuff. Yeah, you can't flex. Um, You can't
1: flex with Daisuke Sakamoto. That's not going to work.
0: Yeah, and then Sakamoto finally getting his hands on him. Like that stuff was really fun, and I thought there was a lot of fun stuff in the match. Um, Yeah, look, it was enjoyable. Um, But yeah, it didn't give me, like the Tanahashi Miyahara stuff did not give me that tingly feeling that it seemed to give everybody else. I'm not trying to be a buzzkill um, because it just didn't, it didn't I when they were squaring off and when they were working together, I wasn't like, oh my God, these are two iconic guys that I I, I don't know it just didn't hit me on that level
1: yeah I don't know if the crowd reacted to that either. you, you know what I mean like and that yeah. should be that's like your ace of of, of New Japan you know at, at tanahashi, even though he's not the champion right now and then your ace of of of, of all Japan these are like two generational guys and it was just like, they were in there, and it was fun, and the crowd enjoyed it, but I don't know that they were like molten hot like I would have thought they would be. In any, any other era, the Ace of New Japan versus the Ace of All Japan, that place would have been just fucking burnt down uh, from the heat, and it wasn't quite that level.
0: Yeah, but it was fun, and it was enjoyable, and, and, and I, I will say this. Tanahashi was there to have fun. This was not like when Tanahashi wrestled Hirashima and ate him up. That wasn't this. Tanahashi looked grumpy against Hiroshima. Remember that a few years ago? Oh,
1: who could forget?
0: Yeah. Ate his ass up. Hiroshima looked confused. Um, this was Tanahashi. He was having fun with Daisuke Sakamoto and, and Miyahara. And those guys, all four of those guys were having a time in their life. And, and it resulted in a very fun match. It was interesting, too, because like you said, Yoshitatsu is not only an All-Japan guy now, but he's Miyahara's tag team partner. And he used to be Tanahashi's tag team partner. So it's like, you know, there was all, there was that element of it too. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it definitely uh, was a lot of fun, but um, you know, I think there were people who it, it, it touched on a different level than it touched me. So I think I'm on the same uh, general wavelength that you are on it, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth your time. I would say if you don't have time for the whole show, cause it is like a f- over four hours, especially with the ceremonies, I'd watch the main event. I would definitely watch the Marafuji-Mochizuki tag. And uh, I guess the, uh, the Akiyama tag, uh, I didn't think it was, I thought it was an okay match, but more to just watch the Akiyama-Kojima interactions. The rest of it is entirely skippable. Unless you want to see LIJ just not give a shit.
1: <laughs> i guess uh i guess there's some perverse uh enjoyment in that but uh yeah no that doesn't sound i do want to check i gotta watch that dels caris mill mascaris match though i i just i have to <laughs> like that's there's something about that i i, I definitely skipped there's like that multi-man death match that doesn't sound very fun to me because uh it <laughs> featured a lot of pretty terrible wrestlers but no i i need to check te- i need to check out that Dos caris mill versus uh Cass hayashi and nosawa out of the question that that needs to be seen for sure but uh yeah
0: the bunkhouse street fight death match you're talking about with Onita, Hosaka, Hideki, Suzuki, of all people. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Against uh, Great Kojika, Hikaru Sato, uh, um, Mitsuya Nagai from the Hooligans and Noah and Suji Ishikawa. Um, it was really just Hikaru Sato taking every bump and getting his <laughs> ass kicked, and it was... I, that volunteered to fucking get destroyed and put through tables, and which is a diversion for what, what you usually see from. And Onita, of course, found a way to bleed, and um, you know it, it was it was it was sloppy and it sucked. But I guess there was some perverse entertainment to it. But um, but yeah, what what also I found this is interesting, Rich. How about this? How about Takuya Nomura taking the pin in a match that also featured a New Japan young lion and like low level indie geeks yet Nomura was the one who took the pen
1: yeah you can't have one of now, the Hashimoto kids I get, I I get that Daichi might not but like I can't let the other no
0: the Narita match you know he's the low man on the totem pole for let's sure. be honest
1: how does Hanma not lose it? you know what I mean like Hanma in 2019 who cares you know like that's fine <laughs>
0: I, I hear you, but that's just not the way they do things. No, I know. But it's know, like, Ren Rita, but, but look, Ren side won, which was surprising enough. And look, I get it. It was Okabayashi that pinned Nomura. So it's two guys in the same company, and one is way ahead in the pecking order. I understand. But it was weird to me that somehow, politically, Nomura was the guy who took the pin here. It's like, he even had two guys that were that are pretty much low-level indie guys on his team. I mean one of them could have taken a pin. I don't know their history with Baba, like if Baba trained them or what I'm not that deep into it to where I understand the history with, you know, Tomohiko Hashimoto and giant Baba. I, <laughs> right, I, right. I, I'm just I, I'm pleading ignorance. I don't you know, so maybe that was the reason. But um, you know, it was odd to me. That that result was odd to me because I it just renderita's right there. You know what I mean? Like but I guess they didn't want the Hanma Okabayashi side losing because those are the, your two veterans in the match and I don't know it's just weird that Nomuro ended up taking the fall in, in that one but um, um, yeah so that was the Baba show and they did the ceremony for uh, Abdullah the Butcher Outlaw Joel Deaton was there it was good to see him uh, again and he looked okay in the Battle Royal I saw some people going crazy about it he didn't look phenomenal he looked fu- he looked fine for a 55 year old guy um, you know, um, but it was good to see him. And he obviously was the one wheeling Abdul the Butcher around. I think he flew in with him. Um, Butcher seemed to be in good spirits, you know, in his wheelchair. And they had a lot of people come out, Dory Funk Jr. And they just had a ton of people come out, um, that were, uh, surprises. key opened the show with a speech. So, um, you know, uh, did a good job of, you know, seeing some people that you haven't seen in years and like I said, you've seen one of these shows, you've seen them all. Um, you know, in the in the Eschel in in the pantheon of like retirement slash tribute shows, this be somewhere in the middle. I didn't think it was great, but I didn't think it was like totally shitty either. It was a perfectly fine watch.
1: Uh DDT judgments, uh DT's uh well, the second biggest show of the year, I would say, for DDT. Probably behind Peter Pan. I either uh, first
0: or second, however you want to slot. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that, uh, that happened a few days ago. We have a, uh, a review up on the website as well if you want to check out the entire show, VoicesWrestling.com. Um, I only saw the main event of this one as well, and uh, I want to talk about it a little bit here. as a KO, uh, KOD openweight title match. Of course, Daisuke, uh, Daisuke Sasaki comes into the match as a champion. He is against Takashito, who was the former champion, and uh, Takashida wins. He wins the title back here. The match goes about 32 minutes. Uh i i enjoyed it uh, again same kind of deal with the baba main event where like there were some people that were losing their mind for it i don't know that i liked it on that level i thought it was real solid back and forth work the f- the, the first part of the match was kind of slow moving and, and and not very exciting the second half got real good the problem was they did a few ref bumps and that it, it's just like it kind of takes me out of the match it was like and and the worst part is so they do a ref bump and um uh, Sasaki grabs the chair and he's you know, obviously he's in damnation or whatever. So it makes sense that he would, he'd be the scumbag that would try to use the chair or whatever. Well, then another referee comes in and takes the chair away. Uh, Sasaki shoves that re- referee out of the way. And then Takeshita grabs a chair and then like puts Sasaki in the corner and then does like the coast to coast, like the Rob Van Dam style coast to coast into a chair into Sasaki's face. And I'm like, dude, you're the baby face. Like, what are you doing, man? Can't do that, like, and so that that kind of annoyed me. But the last stretch, I mean, it, 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 Takashita just really putting away Sasaki. He's a great closer. He does a great job of just doing like a sequence of moves at the end of the matches that really, really work for you. Sasaki did a great job of kind of kicking out of a lot of stuff. There was a little bit of back and forth here. The one problem I will say about this, and and what took me a little bit away from it, uh, the match itself, I'm probably about four stars with it. it would, so it's you know I'm not I'm 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 kind of criticizing some parts of it, but it's still definitely worth your time and definitely a pretty good match. But um, what I would say. For sure, though, is it, it just the crowd seemed, the crowd seemed very dead by at this point. It's like a, a very long show. These DDT mega shows are just always super, super, super long. So it felt like they were kind of dead at this point because I know that they're into Tagashida. I know they're into Sasaki. So it's kind of weird to see them not really react all that much, but yeah, they they seem like they were just kind of ready for the show to end and for that match to end, so uh, that was a little interesting to see that the crowd didn't really react on the level that I thought they would, but uh, all in all, definitely a match that I think is worth your time, uh, but one that I wouldn't say drop everything and go see. Uh, it's not like a match of the year contender on any level, I don't think, but uh, something that's still pretty solid, something that's still, I, I think, worth the 30 minutes of watching.
0: I saw none of this show yet. Um, DDT, big shows are always daunting because I know they're going to be I know a lot of it I'm not going to like. I know a lot of it I'm going to flat out hate. So it's like I really have to prepare myself to watch a DDT show. Looking at the card, though, I don't see a ton of like dumb comedy that's going to annoy me. Um, so maybe this won't be that bad. I'm obviously going to skip the the Iron Man match. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of people I like in it, but I don't have the gimmick anywhere on here, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, and a lot of this just looks like straight wrestling, which I like when DDT does straight wrestling. Cause I like the top part of their card. I think the depth in DDT gets a little over. Eh, I don't know. It's, Cause they have a lot of guys who are f- fine, but they're just so it's, it's a hard watch sometimes. Um, but I do like the very top of DDT and there's some stuff on here. I want to check out. It's just daunting. And, um, you know, So I can't really speak on any of it because I watched a ton of wrestling this week, and this just wasn't one of the shows I watched.
1: Yeah, it was, there was a lot so. this week. This is a crazy week of, of wrestling. and I'm probably going to go back. I'm going to watch the T-Hawk match. Uh, he's had a singles match against Akito. I'm going to check that out. Uh, Hiroshima versus uh, Aoki. I want to check that one out for sure. And then Marafuji versus Endo. Uh, is another match I want to check out because those are ones that are that appear to just be straight wrestling matches, um, and 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 you know all feature guys that I'm pretty excited about too. So I'll definitely check that out. But uh, yeah, if you get a chance, watch the main event. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. I think you'll come away very similar to how I did. I think you're going to like aspects of it you're going to hate aspects of it and ultimately you're going to end saying that was pretty good not great but but you know i didn't waste a half hour of my life watching it and, and that's kind of where i'm at with that match so um and that's kind of our our, our reviewer thomas fishbrook he, he kind of had the same or, or for spec i should say i uh, had kind of the same reaction as well that like you know enjoyed it but he went about a uh, four and a quarter with it like you know there were times where he really thought this was great and then other times where they did stuff that just didn't quite deliver on that level so um all right, Joe, we are up against the clock here. What do you think about doing an overrun? Uh, talking about the Izuka uh, uh, retirement show. I, I think I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the Honor Rising shows this weekend as well. So let's move that over to the overrun. Are uh, you okay with that?
0: Yeah, let's do an overrun this week. It's a good idea.
1: Cool. So anyway, uh, for the overrun, you want to go do VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Patreon. Uh, we're going to talk about the Yizuka, uh Retirement Show. Uh, the Honor Rising Show is coming up as well. We're doing that uh, at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Patreon. So you can uh, get that and subscribe to hear the overrun. But yeah, we are out of time here. So unfortunately, we uh, we got to go. So we're doing an overrun. So anyway, uh, for Joe Lanta, I'm Rich Grage. And we'll see you next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.